0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mango Talks TV. I'm Lee. I'm here. I am joined by Spencer Spencer. Say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. Spencer, we are back. We took a week off. Sorry, everybody. <clears throat> but we are back. We're here with episode five of Netflix. The Queen's Gambit. This
1: episode is titled Fork. Spencer, just preliminary thoughts on the episode. What'd you think? You know, this one was just kind of okay. I mean, we've talked before in reviewing the show that the scenes where they do drama and they do character interactions can be a mixed bag and are often nowhere near as enjoyable or as impressive as the scenes focused at tournaments playing chess, felt like this episode really embodied it. It's focusing on a character relationship that I didn't find as interesting. Hell, the main character didn't find particularly interesting either. And it wasn't until really the end that the um, the clip started to pick up and we started to go in, back into the groove of where the show is is at its best. So wasn't bad, but yeah, the first half I thought was a bit of a letdown compared to some of the good moments we've had in the last few episodes.
0: So before I give my take on the episode, that's what we call a tease in the business, Spencer. You know, Mm. professional over here. Um, I want to do a plug here. BJ and I did a episode of Mangum Laughs, which is going to be up here uh, probably by the time you're listening to this. We reviewed Colin Quinn's um, drive-in comedy special, which is a special they did when, um, you know, obviously in COVID when they couldn't be in comedy clubs, couldn't be inside. So they did this outside comedy show where people just drove up and they did nice. it like like out in new york city like on the river um pretty cool bj and i reviewed that so check that out uh now i'll swing it to you spencer for um maybe tell the audience what's going on with mangum reads or pottering around
1: uh well we've got these shows mangum reads and pottering around mangum reads being a kind of a joined book club where we post a book you read it with us and then we, t- and then we talk about it while answering any questions you've raised pottering around is a chapter by chapter recap of harry potter currently going through the fourth book one of our attendees of the podcast favorite and we're having a blast going through it um presently on mangum reads we're doing thriller mystery short stories which is proving very different than any of us expected um but still quite enjoyable and as said for potter ground we are about eh, fifth of the way into the fourth book and me having no prior background in the series i'm already starting to understand why it is everybody's favorite so hope people will enjoy listening to that too
0: so those podcast feeds are mangum laughs uh mangum Reads, which is the the week by week book club, and then Pottering Round, which is the chapter by chapter reread of Harry Potter. You can find those podcasts at MangumTalks.com or you can go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher um and, and find those. So yeah, if you're listening to this um and you like the podcast, definitely go check those out. Those are good too. So I teased what I might think of the episode. it's now time for me to do the big reveal, Spencer, of what I thought of the episode. I think you're right. I think anytime you, here's my theory. Anytime you're doing a uh, miniseries like this, where it's very clear it's going to be just a series of episodes, there's no threat of a second season, usually when it's based on either history, right? So there's just a certain amount of history and that's it. Or like a book in this case, where there's one book, that's it. Um, and there's going to be a set number of episodes that's contained. There's no threat for a second season. I always feel like there's at least one episode in any of these miniseries that show you through the episode that they either had too many episodes or they had too few. Mm-hmm. Right. This is an episode where I felt like they tipped their hand where it was clear that they did maybe one too many episodes based on the, the amount of plot that they actually had. Some miniseries will go the other way where it'll be an episode and you go, Oh crap. Like they, this could have easily been two or three episodes. This one and they are tipping their hand the other way, where they're showing man they really condensed it and, and they kind of rushed it. Um, I think that um, I think that this one went the other way. I think episode five is a really good example of a stretch episode for a miniseries. I'll
1: it's definitely very
0: easily. Uh, you haven't seen episode six yet, but in my opinion, episode five and episode six could have very uh, easily been one episode, and this could have been a six episode miniseries.
1: Yeah, it, it seems like the rela- the sudden relationship that our main character Beth has with Harry Beldick has no real purpose other than to pad the runtime, like you're saying. Because it's not a relationship that's going to go anywhere. He's never been a character that's been that similarly important to her life. And the role that he's playing and, you know, training her is clearly now going to be filled in the next episode by Billy. And the role in terms of informing her about the risks of what she's going through, about the risks for her future, they've already been teasing that of her already thinking about it in prior episodes. So we don't need him to reiterate it. So they could have been condensed. They could have cut him out entirely, had a few scenes of her pondering her future and dealing with the depression of loss of her mom, and then gone pretty much straight into the next Billy scenes that have their own role in setting up her training for the next stage of her life. Mm-hmm. All of it just kind of feels unnecessary, not particularly an interesting addition.
0: I agree. Now I will say this: um, this is a great miniseries. So I'm quibbling on the margins here. This was still a good episode of television. It was worth sure. watching. I'm, I'm not saying that we watched something that was that did not fill the hour that wasn't entertaining i'm just saying i think it could have been probably mashed up with episode six as well so what we're going to do is our normal uh our standard um segments here on MangaTalks tv i will do a recap i'll leave the recap spencer will chime in with his thoughts as i go then we will do best line of the episode best scene of the episode and then spencer will wrap it up with spencer's wikipedia spiral of the week spencer you ready to get going on the recap damn straight okay we start with what i think this is a weird um flashback i think it was beth's real mom like it was a memory for beth Mm -hmm. and it was beth's real mom delivering a monologue to her about the world how the world isn't fair and how eventually she's going to end up being all alone she needs to figure the world out for herself i took that to me to be a memory that beth had of her real mom is that is that what you remembered as well
1: I think so as well. And it fits into what little we'd know about her real mom in terms of her active avoidance of the world and everybody in it. In her increased descent into possibly madness, it's never been fully explained, but it definitely fits into the paranoia that we saw in her.
0: Yeah. Cut to Beth arriving back home in Kentucky to an empty house that I believe is now hers, Spencer. I think he just owns his house. Uh, according to um, her stepdad. Yeah. Not a bad pl- I mean, it, it's the sucks to lose Alma, but like, not a bad place to be i mean she's like making money with chess right she's got this house Mm -hmm. to herself um you know you know it's not it's not the worst situation in the world um it is raining of course when she shows up to the empty house cue the dramatic music because she walks in she walks around almost not there she's obviously in her feels um she seems unsure about where to go what to do where to sit in this house uh now that she is the owner of the house, the woman of the house. Um, Mm -hmm. Alma isn't there. She does go over and touch the piano. Alma's death clearly hitting her hard here, man. Um, our girl, Beth, doesn't show a lot of emotion. Um, I think that they are trying to show you here that, that this Alma death, was no small thing for her. And that was, they took their time with this scene and I think that's what they're trying to tell us.
1: And This was an effective scene. I liked this scene in terms of not telling us, just letting us experience, just letting us see her emotions as she's processing it and her difficulty in processing it. I mean, if we ponder her life previously, this is probably the only moment she's been truly alone. When she was with her mom, she was alone with her mom. When she was in the orphanage, she never had an opportunity to be by herself. When she came into this household, she had the mom right there with her. This is kind of like the first moment where she's ever just to herself. And I think she's still having, I don't think she really knows how to process or accept that or plan for the next step going forward.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, So then we cut to Beth getting a call from Harry Beltic. If you remember Harry Beltic, um, he is just another chess player that she met before. She whipped his ass, I think, in episode three. Kentucky he's state champion. Kentucky state champion. He's calling from the Kentucky state tournament. He mentions, uh, well, Beltic is from, he's not calling yeah. from, but he is from the Kentucky state tournament. He mentions her loss to Borghoff, Uh And it's clear that he's calling to console her a little bit here. Beth is not great at the consoling. Well, kind of like you in that respect, Spencer. I've called to try to console you about things before. And it's a, it's a, it's like a snake hissing at me, telling me to fuck off. Beth is about the same She's mm. very Spencer-esque mm. in the, in the consoling here. Not, not, not too good at it. Um,
1: I'd fight you on this, but it's so goddamn true. So yes, <laughs> I accept your comparison. It's also, fuck off.
0: <laughs> People in their laughing at this. It's very true. It, it, the, very Beth-esque in that way. He asked what she was playing, white or black. She says black. Beltic says it's better that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if you lose playing black, not white. Uh, he said, what did you play? What did he play? Um, Beltic's trying to rehash the match now. I don't get the sense that Beth is excited about this, but she does say that he plays the he plays the closed Sicilian, Beth says, "I let him do it to me.
1: It's, it's, it's a kind of weird conversation because it's pretty much stated in this episode, the two of them haven't talked in like six years. Yeah, and, it's weird. And he's just calling out of the blue and talking her ear off. And she's, at first, just kind of just going through the motions of it. Like you said, she doesn't really seem to want to be here, but doesn't feel... The need to hang up on him immediately.
0: He says he's in Lexington for the summer, and he thought, "Quote: Would you like some training? I know you're better than me, but if you're going to play the Soviets, you need help." So this is an interesting thing about chess, and it's it's not dissimilar from say boxing, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can you can be with someone who is worse than you, who is no who you can beat ten times out of ten but that person can still make you better. Boxing is that way too. Sure. You, know, you you train with somebody and they they can make you better even though they are not the boxer that you are. And so that's kind of what he's proposing here. Beth uh, asked where he is. Uh he says he's on his way to the Phoenix Hotel says he could come over on Thursday. Beth, here comes Spencer. Why don't you come over now? Woo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know, you know, I made a joke there obviously. You could be mm. tongue-in-cheek about this, about the, the Beth belted cooking up. I honestly just thought this was Beth being lonely. That's all I thought this yes. was.
1: Yes. Th- this, yeah. This th- this was Beth very much not wanting to spend the night alone in the house. There's, yeah. Uh, she d- said she doesn't really know how to spend time just to herself. And what little time we've spent seen of her spending time just to herself is self-destructive as all shit. So this is probably a good call that maybe you should have somebody over right now even just to talk and play chess or sure. yeah. more as time goes on
0: or whatever just you know not yes. being alone and and you know to beltic's credit we'll get to the scene here in a second but beltic does pick up on that right yeah he realizes he's not just there for the chess um he cuts about beltic arriving beth is watching him she's in a rocking black black turtleneck mm-hmm. Woo! oh my gosh um yeah, that, uh, this uh, this actress um, Anna Taylor Joy. She is uh, she's quite attractive when she wants to be.
1: She's quite attractive um, indeed, and there are several moments in this episode where they emphasize that she is an attractive woman who knows how to show it. it. But
0: it's so interesting how they're able to oscillate in the show, right? Because they have these moments like this one where she's standing on the porch in the black turtleneck, and she's a knockout. But then you have these moments where they're they're able to dress her down, and she looks fourteen. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's casting. I don't know if that's just hair and makeup, lighting. I don't know what it is, but they, they really it works well in a show that's supposed to be along this pretty substantial timeline. They're able to oscillate
1: back and forth well, with one, the character. One thing it is also is just angles of the camera too. They often show her when we start as a kid. They're often filming her from looking down. Here we're filming her more looking up, and it adds a certain element of maturity and mystique to her. I think.
0: Um, Beltic opens with this one. Spencer, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit you with the line. I need you to rate it, because I mean, mm. let, let, let's drop any premonition. Um, B- Beltic likes Beth, like this is very he, clear. He liked her back in the day. So
1: yes, and as we learn, yeah. There's a certain element of intent going on into his call to her today.
0: Hundred percent. But He has a thing for Beth. Had it back in the day. Still has it now. So this is his opening line. I'm sure he rehearsed it.
1: Oh yeah. I'm gonna Practicing give it to you, Spencer. I
0: wanna, I wanna A to F. All right. I, right. Okay.
1: Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready.
0: Beltic. Excuse me, miss. What happened to that gawky little kid that kicked my ass years ago? She grew up.
1: You know, it's a bitch. You know. I'm gonna give it a B minus. It's not, it's, it's a little bit cliche. It's, 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 it's setting up more like a friendly banter kind of thing, but it, it gets you in the door. It's not particularly impressive, but I wouldn't describe it as bad.
0: This is, I give it a, I give it a C plus maybe. Okay. Maybe we're, on the, we're on
1: the, we're on the border there together. I understand. Yeah.
0: Here's the thing. Always sounds good in a guy's mind. To say yes. something like "Hey, you were a gawky kid" it, doesn't always land good with the girl.
1: What? Well, 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 <laughs> you were calling the, me gawky? <laughs> the, the, this fits in the classic <laughs> like guys' understanding of a girl on the playground at age five of yeah. where I get her attention by poking her. And this is the kind of ribbing that works fine for in between guys with a girl you're better off having a little bit more familiarity than not talking to them for six years before you necessarily go this route. And then calling her, yeah, well, you were
0: gawky back in the, yeah, not, not, not the strongest move. Anyway, it's not an F though. So Beltic is at least in the game uh, inside Beltic is handing her books. Beth has read most of them. It's kind of an inch. They're almost flirting right away where he's handing her a book and she's going, read it. Here's another book, read it. Like, you know, they kind of have this little rapport going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but Beltic is doing his best. Uh, shout out to Baltic for continuing to try to give her books and, and, and pry and try to figure out, okay, well, what has she read? What has she not read? Cause you know, ultimately, you know, he's there to try to help her. Right. He's trying to make right. her better. Beth pouts about, um, or points out that Casablanca, Casablanca, uh, what's his Co- name? Capablanca. There you go. Not Casablanca. That's a movie. Capablanca. <laughs> um played by natural intuition so i think what beth, the dy- dynamic of this scene here is beth is trying to explain to him i don't need to read these books i play by intuition right uh Beltic says yeah capablanca played by intuition but also his natural gifts which were plentiful um so he's trying to say like in a nice way like yeah you're gif- you're gifted not not sure you're as gifted as capablanca maybe you need to read these books
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, we get a lot in this chapter uh, chapter, sorry, this episode of where
0: Mangum Reed's coming out.
1: <laughs> it's in my head uh, that Beth really seems to feel in the mindset of and look up to and idolize these kind of instinctual genius players. We, Capablanca, we hear a lot about morphe, which I was interesting to see, um, of where she views herself as the modern incarnation of them. And Beltic is continually trying to explain to her that a, that's not necessarily a good thing. And B, they would have probably struggled against Borgoff because you need to understand the basic fundamentals, the rules, the procedures. You need to understand their workmanship style of playing chess if you ever hope to beat them, even with your natural gifts and instinctual style of play.
0: Yeah, they do. The scene ends with them going back and forth on if Capablanco could have beaten Borgoff. Beltic seems to be a hard no here. Beth? I think I'm not sure Beth really believes it. She's saying she thinks he could have. I'm not sure she
1: hundred well, percent believes that it's partly because Beth seems at this point convinced or at least is telling Harry that you know, I can beat Borgoff next time. I just need more practice hmm. and And she's kind of trying to use Coab Blanca way of expressing that thought of where you know he, these you know skilled stick player they're they can they can beat this kind of workman like Borgoff. And Harry's really trying to get her out of that mindset quick. I'm not even necessarily sure whether Beth believes it or not, but it's at least how she's fronting right now.
0: Yeah. Beltic is then sitting at the kitchen counter and says he replayed her match with Benny Watts. Benny Watts, if you remember, mm-hmm. um, isn't that uh, Jojen?
1: It is Jojen.
0: That's our boy Jojen. Jojen in the house. Uh, Beth says that she's a different player now. Beltic says, well, in some ways, Beltic points out that when Beth gets countered, she gets mad. And when she gets mad, she can only see what's right in front of her. Which is a very insightful bit of commentary uh, into Beth here and, and how ahead. she plays. We we know because we, we have like the sort of omnipotent view, um, the God's eye view of Beth. We have seen this happen many, many times, even when she was younger, like very young. Um, she gets mad. And she starts playing with more and more brute force and she attacks harder and harder and she becomes she has single vision. And Beltic has been able to figure this out, I think, from afar, which shout out to mm-hmm. him for that.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, we've clearly seen that Beth can pl- Beth will start playing on tilt with not much of a triggering factor. And it's something that she should damn well know about herself because she heard the Russians say it about her when she was in the elevator. Yep. Among, yep. um, among the people that are playing her or are prepping to play her, she has this reputation, but she still seems kind of offended when Harry points it out. So I don't even know if she's fully accepted it yet.
0: Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like not to try to be like, I'm not trying to like be on best case too much here. But like, I think if I was a character in the show, I would be like, hey, Beth, you know, this idea of you getting emotional and then or being upset. Um, but the cued the sexist word, right. Emotional mm-hmm. and and then kind of losing it. That plays into the stereotype of women. Every single guy you play is going to is gonna already think that you have that in you. They're going to play to that. Right. You have got to stop doing that, right? Uh,
1: that's a great call, but it's already going to be assumed about you yeah. because you're a woman. So it, the fact that it's true means you extra need to prepare for this.
0: Yeah, 100%. Beltic insists that she has to stay open during her game. See the whole board. Don't get tunnel vision. He commences to coach her uh, a little bit more. Beltic seems like a pretty good teacher. Uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion, I think in this moment, he's probably exactly what she needs.
1: It's helpful too, that at least early on, we see to see a little bit, a little bit more of a difference here uh, in the future, but early on, he does, he isn't coming to this with ego. He knows from the start that she's better than him. He knows from the start what his usefulness to her is. And he's focusing on that. He's not letting his own maybe ego about the, how much better or smarter than him, him. She is get in the way of teaching her the fundamentals that he came here to do.
0: Yep, they play out certain scenarios and it looks like Beltic corners her as they're playing. He explains he got it from a book right a little a little, mm-hmm. little, little needling her because um, he you know he does in that quick exchange you get the better of her and he explains he got it from a book. Uh, Beth has made them both sandwiches. <clears throat> Spencer what do you think what sandwiches do you think she's making she's she's what 2223 here doesn't seem like a cook. And, um, you know, it's 19, what, sixty four sixty five. 65. What kind of sandwiches do you think Beltic well, is getting?
1: It looks like Wonder Bread with the corners cut off. Um, yeah, but right I,
0: away. Yeah, it's a good call.
1: Um, we haven't seen her cook much for herself or prepare much. She probably doesn't have that much of a you know, an expensive discerning palate. And she probably hasn't shopped, which throw in that factor too. This might just be a mayonnaise and cheese sandwich for all I know.
0: Wow, mayonnaise and cheese could be. I was thinking processed meat. I it, was thinking he's got a he's got a bologna or a salami in his future.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe even a spam. Who knows?
0: Could be spam. That's true. Uh, cut back to the scene. Beth says uh, she's a different person too. Beltic says, uh, be- "No, be- Beth says um, you're a different person too, right?" So she kind of re- invokes. What Beltic said to her when he first saw her, right? That she's Mm -hmm. she's changed or whatever. And she's like, hey, you've changed too. Beltic says he fixed his teeth. Uh, Um, Look, I mean, fix your teeth, dude. That's cool. I'm all Mm -hmm. for it. I'm just not, you, if you're trying to get this girl, like, openly talking about the fact, fact you fixed your teeth because you felt like your teeth were ugly, I just don't, I don't know if that's a good road to go down in the conversation.
1: I very much agree it's not the best tact to take, but this character really believes that this was his necessary thing he had to do to win Beth. The fact that we've learned here in a minute, he spent his tuition money to do it for the explicit purpose of beating her in the future. So yeah, he he's invested a lot in the idea that his teeth were the issue.
0: I'm I'm all for self for bettering self. I'm all for uh, doing things like that if you think it's necessary, and maybe sure. even if you think it's necessary for a girl. I just don't know if he should be talking about it too much in front. No, of her No, because, no, it, woo woo. That it, shows the underbelly. Showing too
1: much weakness there, Belty. And and she, she and Beth's very receptive to it very quickly because it's not what she meant. And when he seizes on that, she kind of exits the conversation with, "Yep, yep that that's it." yeah and then just kind of walks out of it a little bit she
0: does give him a it was worth it when he says she does spent which is polite a on it which very nice for uh beltic says he should go and leave his board there he says he would go back in the morning with more books so uh what is started here is beltic knows um she's good right
1: yeah
0: she has a chance against the soviets
1: yeah
0: he doesn't so he's committed to helping her. And I just want to point out what is actually the undercurrent of what's going on here. Yes, Beltic has a crush on her, right? But yeah. he's going above and beyond just like calling her to try to hook up with her. Mm-hmm. He's really trying to help her. And and he's doing it, I think, because he knows, hey, you're one of us, right? You're from the same general area. You're an American. You're young like me. And you're the one, you're the one we have to vault up. Um, and, I, and we see that. You just, I'll go ahead and tell you, we see that more and more as the show goes on. And I just love that about how they're portraying the chess community, right? That they're and, like, hey, me and you are going to scrap. But if it's clear that you're better than me, I'm going to do everything I can to help you kick the next guy's ass. That's a pretty cool dynamic.
1: I will agree with that. But I think focusing on that as being his only reason that would be there would be overly charitable. That oh, no, no. It's just part of it. It, it is and, part of it. And, and he only, has his own goals here, too.
0: Oh, yeah. He, he wants to hook up with her for sure. But there is an element of that, and and I'm tipping, my, I'm tipping my hand here. I'm doing a little spoiler. That, that maybe I should have had this jag next episode. But th- we see this more and more in the chess community as they, gotcha, as they display. It. And I just really like that sentiment. Now, this what idea he, of like? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll you you beat me, but I'll do everything I can to help you the next round.
1: Mental note. W- one thing to ask you: When Beltic leaves here, he does so awkwardly and uncomfortably. Based on what? maybe vibes or whatever else or discomfort himself, he's getting off Beth right now of where he, they're intending to have dinner together right now. Their little wonder bread and baby processed meat sandwiches. And he doesn't even take a bite of it. He immediately, the moment she sits down, comes around the corner to sit down next to him, talks about his teeth. He exits stage left immediately. Yeah. How, how, how did you interpret that? Was that just his own insecurities his at play? Ner-
0: nervous. Yeah, just yeah. nervous as all hell. Yeah. And it's moving. Beth is so much more confident than him yes. that it, he just doesn't, you know, he, he he's out of his element and it's happening way faster than he probably anticipated. Uh, and he's not ready for the next move. Well, so he this just is a, panics.
1: This is also the first of a few moments before I have to ask, do you interpret Beth's interactions with him in this moment as flirting to any degree? Yeah.
0: Beth is an interesting character because I'm not sure. Yeah, she might be flirting with him. I just don't think that she is in a place mentally to know who she likes or what she likes. She's just kind of operating just kind of next, you know, one foot in front of the other kind of deal. She's the type of person that, like, if I was if I was a guy and I was around her and I was single, I probably would like, even though she's like attractive and cool, I probably pump the brakes and say I just don't, I don't know that there's a lot there. I feel like I'm, I'm looking at some hollow eyes.
1: Yeah. she. She's so immediate gratification focused in terms of how she goes about her own individual pleasures outside of chess that I agree with that I did. There's not really a long-term plan or a long-term commitment associated with this. She just kind of moves between what's fun or interesting. as the next step.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and she's also by her nature, just kind of a flirt anyway.
0: Yeah, she is. And, but I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to my Jag uh, a second ago where I was talking about how the chess community builds her up, you know, Mm-hmm. That does happen at the end of this episode too, right? Because of that conversation with Benny. So I'm not not too far ahead of the the horse on that because there's two examples of it here. There's Beltic and there's Benny later in the episode. It is. And
1: that's a good point. A good parallel I'm going to come back to with respect to that same issue of was she flirting and how a person responds to it. We're going to come back Uh, to that again with Benny I can't wait
0: to have that conversation. Our boy Joja grew up. Woo! (laughs) We'll get there. Man, he's tough. Uh, Back at home, Beth is going through the books. Then she starts watching TV. Seems like she's having trouble sleeping in the house. Um, and that really makes a lot of sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's got to be. Look, it's cool that she's got the house. I mean, it's better than not. But she still has to get through the process of this is a house that she was brought to. It's Alma's house. Now she's there alone. Alma's dead. She's got to figure out ways to sleep. Okay. And she's always had trouble sleeping, which, you know, people who like dabble in drugs and alcohol and stuff usually do. So she's she's already has that problem, and so it's not it's not too surprising that she's struggling to sleep here. I, I do t- I did take this scene though, where she's just kind of sitting there, um, as evidence that uh, you know not maybe not the strongest evidence in the world, but some evidence that maybe she wanted Beltic to stay over.
1: I think she did want Beltic to stay over. I don't think she's into Beltic, but he's no. there.
0: He's a thing. Yeah, he, exactly.
1: He, he, he's available. He's convenient. She provides a certain amount of solace or even distraction from the present moment. Because this is a person who's got a lot of grief wrapped up in her and has had very little opportunity or necessarily ability to process it. And we've had recent events just pile onto it. And I don't know if she has any healthy idea of how to cope or come to terms with that.
0: Look, here's the thing. I'm going to do an NBA parallel here. So Beth, championship team, she's had an injury. There's somebody that she planned to be on the team is off the team. Mm-hmm. she needs a rebounder she's picking Beltic up off the waiver wire is Beltic part of their long-term plan their three to five year plan no but you know what they need her. Beth needs a rebounder by God and Beltic is here to put a body on a man so shout out to Beltic he's right place right time situation but yeah I don't think that uh, he's in the long-term plan for Beth mm-hmm. um, next it- morning yeah. They are playing and at the end Beltic asks her what her end game was. She says to win. He explains Well, that's just improvising. Beth there's here's a potential quote of the episode right here. Quote I can beat Borgoff with a little more work. Beltic, you can beat Borgoff with a lot more work, years more work. Borgoff is not some Kentucky ex champion like me. He's a world champion who could have beaten both of us when he was ten. Shout out Mm -hmm. to Beltic for a little T-bomb, a little truth bomb situation.
1: He gives gives her a few in the course of this episode where Beltic seems really good at just cutting through the shit and just laying it out there for her.
0: You know, and for a guy who's like self-professed, like I don't love chess anymore and I'm getting out of it, I'm going to go be an engineer and all that crap, he understands chess and the process and what it takes really, really well. Like he, he really understands what it takes to be great, I think.
1: And I think that may in part be as a result of the fact that he's not in it anymore. Because he's outside it, because he's leaving it, he has perspective on it that she doesn't. Because she still looks at it with rose-colored glasses And while in the trenches.
0: Yeah, Beltic tells her to read Borgov's history. How he plays, quote, you might learn something. Beltic, the real MVP. Cut to Beltic in the bathroom. He's looking at himself in the mirror, going over what he said to Beth. Yeah, you know what? We've all been there. (laughs) You know what, Beltic? We've all been there. Where you're you're (sighs) with the pretty girl. And you, you have a conversation. You go, you know what I mean. In, in the bathroom? You get the bathroom. God, stupid. stupid. Why did I start? That was dumb. Yeah. We've all been there, Beltic. Pretty
1: cute. He uh, sees I, something.
0: I do bit. think he looks around and sees her pills here. Is that right?
1: He does, yes. And
0: he picks them up, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I think he I think he yanks her pills. And I know it. Look, I don't know Beltic very well. But I know Beltic well enough to know he's not taking her pills in the same way that Beth would be taking the pills in that situation. I don't think that is taking these pills to take them. I think he's trying to keep them
1: away from Beth. It's interesting that he just recognizes them on site. Uh, Yeah. They must've
0: been real pervasive back in the sixties. Right. And this is like Librium. So this is a benzodiazepine. It's something like Xanax that that just makes you kind of, it's an anti-anxiety med makes you kind of sleepy. You've mentioned in the past that maybe these were over, over prescribed to women back then in an effort to just get them to just stop freaking out and shut up. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe he's seen like maybe his mom taking them, for instance, or if he had a sister or something. Um, it, that, that's kind of that's my guess there.
1: It, he definitely has prior exposure to them because he he grabs them and seems to know instantaneously what they are. It's not like they're in a marked bottle or anything. So whether it's someone else that took them a pass or even potentially himself, there is a history there that we just don't know about yet.
0: Weird that Beth is keeping the keeping the pills in the bathroom for full display when she's got <laughs> she's got um, a, a guest over. That's kind of strange. Mm. Uh, cut to Beth dancing in the living room Whew.
1: I don't know if she's trying to seduce Whew. him in this scene But I was fully seduced
0: Oh, Tough boy Let me tell you that uh, shit, They are really um, leaning hard On the
1: attractiveness of the actress there uh, With Peggy Lee's fever playing in the background too mm-hmm. Beltic is just stunned
0: You give me fever when you kiss me Fever when you hold me tight That's not really the the, the there's the lyrics, though. Fever in the morning, fever all through the night. That's mm-hmm. the, the general lyrics there. Uh, Beth keeps it on, says she likes it. Beltic hesitates, walks out. Um, Spencer, do you think Beth was going for it here? you think this was a, this was a hey, come hither? This was,
1: the, this was the second moment I was going to ask you. I think yes, and I think it possibly informs more about the first scene, too, of where... This doesn't feel like you know. Ah, oh, I'm just wanting to lose, get, get loose, and have fun. Listen to music. There's an element of style going into this, an element of seduction. I feel. Even I don't. The
0: lights are dimmed.
1: Yes. I I don't yeah. I, I don't think Her- Beltic Baltic is wrong in assuming that that was the intent here. Uh, and again, we see Beth later seeming a little bit disappointed, sitting in bed alone, sitting in bed mm-hmm. alone.
0: Yeah, she takes out a cigarette, picks up a book. So at least she's doing what Beltic told her to read the damn books,
1: In- including um, including about Borgoff now, right?
0: Yep. Cut to a video about Borgoff uh, and about how great he is, kicking ass at a young age and whatnot. Montage includes. So it's a montage of I guess a so. I took this to be like a Soviet produced piece of propaganda about sure. how great Borg office that they probably just flung out to the west to show for everybody
1: they have the for, best yeah for international yeah. consumption
0: absolutely uh but they they interspersed footage of of that that video with uh Beth walking home and seeing Beltic on her steps inside Beth is cooking Beltic is taking to her about strategies on trading pieces he brings up a historical example I'm I, I don't really I didn't really follow everything he was saying but what I took was um you know he, he was trying to give her some lessons on on trading pieces strategically as opposed to the brute force that Beth typically operates with. And he is continually trying to get her to be a study of the game. Don't just operate on your instinct. Look at history. Look at <clears throat> old matches. That That's going to guide you. That's going to help you. Uh, Beth is back in bed. This is still the Borgoff video montage. Cut to Beltek telling Beth he's moving out of the hotel into an apartment. Beth asks, "Where is it?" Beltic says, "Well, um, it's you know, round some way over there. Uh, yeah, it's you know, close, but I can't come by school. as much. Yeah, but I can't come by as much anymore. Uh, I, I need to take classes. I need to get a part-time job." Beltic's saying he's got to get his shit together. He can't be a chess uh, professional. Not like Beth. Uh, he's got to be an engineer or whatever. It, Beth, didn't it, drops this. Oh no, go ahead.
1: It it also sort of implies, I think that he went into this hoping that there would be an in in some way, hoping that a relationship would blossom and he doesn't either see it or isn't comfortable with it or feels like he's already messed it up. So I think there's a certain implication there too, that he's kind of giving up on that route.
0: He really is like, he's one of those guys in high school. I would have grabbed by the lapels and been like, Harry Beltic, you look in that mirror and you say, I am worthy, my friend, because the the lack of self-confidence it's, with this yeah. guy is just, it's terrible. I mean, she has multiple times now given him signals. not He has not only not capitalized on the signals, he has not done that, but he has gone a step further and thought, He's somehow screwed this whole thing up. Yeah, and he has no
1: idea where his position is. His needle is completely and, all over the place. And he's aware of the signals, too, because he keeps leaving when they happen. He's just yeah. so wrapped up in his own self-doubt, his own lack of self-confidence, that he's refu- that he's not comfortable with himself enough to, you know, respond to those signals.
0: And all of that stops when Beth
1: drops this one. Beth <laughs> is no longer playing around.
0: You can move in here if you want. You know, for free. Uh hmm So there it is, Spencer. We were all, we were going toward this. We were moving toward this in the episode. Beltic seems a bit taken aback. Beltic then tries to kiss her. Kiss her. She backs up. Beth, sorry I wasn't ready. Beat, beat, wait for it, wait for it. I'm ready now. Another (laughs) beat. Now or never.
1: Woo! And then it
0: happens, Spencer.
1: It it, it happens. They kiss again and we cut um, pretty much immediately, I feel, to them in bed together.
0: And thank the dear Lord that they did not have to show us the uh, the, the the lead up to that sex scene there because I can only imagine <laughs> it was a lot of teeth clanking and um, inability to get clothes off in a in a casual way. Um, I am sure that it was awkward
1: as all get out. Yeah, on both parts in, in many ways. As much as, as much as Beth radiates confidence, this, as far as we know, is still only the second time she's had sex. At least you I know think so. yeah. that, that we well, at least that we've had on camera have been implied. And I feel like they're
0: covering those moments, right? I feel like yes. they're trying to show.
1: I think us we're hitting the highlights.
0: Moments. Yeah, I don't think she's. I think that Beltic probably thinks she's like super experienced, and I don't think she is. And I think that it was probably just a clusterfuck between the two of them. So thank God they cut right to the end of it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's. Before uh, <laughs> well, she
1: immediately is moving on to the next thing, she's kind of she's distracted. She's in bed,
0: Lighting <laughs> a cigarette, Beltic is next to her.
1: Who um, looks fully concussed and shell shocked and uncertain. He, yeah. he, looks like, he looks like an animal that in the middle of the night that's been caught with a spotlight and just has no idea what to do next.
0: Yeah, completely stunned. Now, Spencer, do you think the hooking up was a good idea?
1: N- n- no, because they had entirely different purposes for it that don't overlap and don't end up well for either.
0: Of I think where, that is a very fair thing to say.
1: Of where he's got feelings, he's got a lot of feelings she does not have feelings and that's just a recipe for pain and discomfort between two people that could be good friends if nothing else going forward but shouldn't be doing this to allow that to really happen
0: but it was inevitable. It was yeah. always going to happen. Beltic asked if he should stay with her or go back to his room. Kind <laughs> of strange when you hook up with your roommate. Like, do I stay in your bed? <laughs> like, what do I do?
1: It's an awkward conversation, really. Yeah.
0: Beth just says whatever you want. She's pretty cool about it. Yes. Uh, Beltic finally says goodnight, gets up to go to his room. Um, what a dynamic they have now introduced uh, to this, ro- this, this, um, this house. I mean, you've got Beltic being this sort of agitator teacher of badgering her about you need to read, you need to study history, you're not good enough right now, you need to push, push, push. You have that dynamic, you've got the, Beltic is completely unsure of himself, stumbling over his own two feet. Uh, And then you now have the, uh, they're hooking up and Beth is like super cool about it. Well, I'm just gonna smoke a cigarette, and read a book when we're done. You do whatever you want. What a weird house to live.
1: And it's too many things at the same time. It's strange. (laughs) Harry is now wearing way too many hats to make this work. That pile of hats is going to topple. Because you can't be hooking up with her and living with her and also serve as a browbeating necessary teacher to her. Those are going to conflict. And as we see, they do pretty quick.
0: Cut to Beth out shopping the next day. Looks like she's back at Ben Snyder's. Yeah, Ben Snyder's. If you remember from earlier episodes is a department store, but uh, in the Kentucky area, that is, um, yeah, it was pretty popular back then. I don't but, think there's any Ben Snyder's anymore. I think it's uh, all gone.
1: Uh, probably no more, not more Ben
0: Snyder's, or, or, uh, or thank you Amazon,
1: or changed to such a great degree, be unrecognizable. But notably, compared to the last time we saw our Ben Snyder's, she is on the ground floor right yeah, rather than up in up the rafters.
0: In a, heck no, she's not up in those sale racks no more. Beth is, uh, Beth is buying. Buying the full price items now, she does run into somebody she knows, a girl from high school. Had these moments myself, very strange.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: Spencer, uh, you and I both uh, have a little age on us, neither one of us have kids. Pretty strange when you run into like somebody from high school or college or whatever and they got their newborn, right? Particularly when
1: they're like, it, it can be hard enough to meet somebody with their newborn anyway, particularly if you've not seen them for like a decade. I and mean, she hasn't seen this girl in six, seven years six, probably. seven Some,
0: years, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: something like that even more awkward of when the person is obviously unhappy with their state in life.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've had those too. where I was oh, seeing yeah. like a dude or, or like a woman that like I, I grew up with who like have a kid and like, you know, they're like, you know, being, trying to be jolly, like this, oh, woman, yeah. this woman is, but giving you every hint in the world that they're miserable. Like that's exactly the conversation I've had before uh, with people
1: I went to high school with when I, I go back to my hometown. It's very uncomfortable. Oh yeah. So you weren't, You're meeting this person for the first time in six years you're not invested enough to really dig deep on this nor do you necessarily want to this was not a meeting you planned for and suddenly you are in their shit and not sure what to what what the next step is with that
0: yeah um she says but she in the in the midst of this very awkward conversation where this girl's explaining that she has this kid now she's married but that she you know uh, you know indirectly is saying that she's not happy she does say she read about beth she says, mm-hmm. It might be exciting. Uh, being all the Beth's being around all those boys, is a real thrill. Um, mm-hmm. Beth reminds her about the time she went over to her house. She wanted to know if Beth had dated any of the
1: boys. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: very, very weird.
1: Which is a very meaningful conversation to Beth, but for this girl. Didn't even register just another Tuesday. She has no memory of that conversation at all.
0: No, Beth had remembered something a little bit too specific and kind of tipped her hand um, that maybe that that interaction was a bigger deal to her than it was to the girl. The girl takes off, saying it was nice to see Beth. Um and I think all parties are happy that interaction is over.
1: and a notable thing to get out of this, too, is what she also had in her cart and some of the dialogue she has about, you know, maybe the baby will go to bed and be convenient. And what's at the bottom of her cart is a massive amount of alcohol.
0: Oh, I didn't even see that. She had yep. a bunch of alcohol in her cart.
1: At the bottom of the cart, underneath the baby, it was loaded up with a ba- with a bag from a lo- from a liquor store. And that's oh, when...
0: wow, good catch there, Spencer. I did not see that.
1: And it, it explains one of the lines that she was saying. She was she when she when Beth looks down and sees this. Uh, I don't forget the name of the girl. It's like Margaret or something. Yeah, is saying a line about and you know if we get back in time, you'll go to bed and that'll be convenient, which doesn't make sense until you look down at the alcohol and says, Oh, so you can get your buzz on gotcha uh, I understand
0: okay. now all right well we got we got two uh two folks who are uh who are dabbling too and I mean Beth obviously not tipping her hand there but Beth Beth also I think cool. uh, dabbles with the alcohol. cut to Beltic explaining there is more to life than chess um, yes
1: which he is, is Bel- just all
0: over the place with his advice I mean one minute he's like you have got to study you have got to read it is so important
1: the next he's well there's more to life than chess if you got a theme hit your theme stick to your theme hit it Lord, twice dude. hammer it three times don't jump around to conflicting points
0: uh, he's regaling her with all these historical folks that he's interested in he lands on a quote ready for it spencer oh i am it's foolish to run the risk of going mad for vanity's sake i guess yet yeah, this is like the type of thing that beltic says that makes him think that he sounds interesting i'm not sure it's the type of thing that's gonna work with someone like Beth.
1: Yeah. How much is this Beltic talking to himself and Beths in the room?
0: <laughs> it's a lot of it. That's a good call. Yeah, it's so, a lot so, of him just sort of like monologuing.
1: At this point, he's quoting friggin' Diderot. Talk, it's like, dude, what what are you what are you trying to do here? What what is your objective? Understand that you're actually talking to yourself and reaching a conclusion for yourself now and Beth's just present.
0: Beltic says he saw the pictures Towns took of her in Vegas. I I don't know, like so the implication here is that I guess he saw these pictures and he He knew that maybe something was up between her and Towns. I have absolutely no idea how you ascertain that from a picture. Um, Very strange interaction. But um, he does inquire about her and Towns and Beth shuts it down, says, no, nothing happens.
1: Which, which she's honestly probably still disappointed about, given her feelings for Towns and particularly that she saw at the t- what we saw at the time.
0: Fucking what was his name? That shithead. That That guy sucks so bad. Greg. You know he sucks so bad. I can't even remember his name. We, we, Screwed We've everything. blocked
1: him out. He does not merit the brain cells, worst. man. Just banish him right now. The
0: worst. Beltic starts to explain that he had been waiting for her. Uh, Beth changes the subject here. So this is starting to broach into a conversation. Um that establishes a dynamic that you talked about earlier which is that beltic has more feelings for her than she does for him he has actually by miles. thought about her he's this is not like simple like oh man maybe i'll just call beth mm-hmm. he's been thinking about this for a long time and he's trying to explain that to her and beth does not have those feelings for him very clear so she changes the subject quickly. Um, Beltic's kind of hurt by the fact that she, she changed the subject here. I think it's obvious he wants more than she does. She walks off and finally Beltic says, let's play chess
1: mm-hmm.
0: next day. Beth is at the corner store pharmacy. This, this pharmacist, um, I feel like <laughs> long you, suffering. Like, I, I feel like if you're, if they were made, like, I know there's a book about Queens that this yeah it's uh, adaptation yeah but let's say there wasn't and let's say you were just writing a book based on whatever the show is i would want a pov from the
1: pharmacist oh yeah the things that man has seen the stories that he's got a brief window into would be fascinating
0: yeah he he's seen some shit and he knows everybody's secrets and beth is there getting some cigarettes she also picks up a chess magazine with my man jojan on the front benny mm. watts in the building the cashier asked if she'd rather steal it. To reference I reference. that he episodes. called her out on that. Yeah, a couple episodes. When she didn't have any money, so she uh, she went in, um, bought a paper, and then uh, stuck a chess magazine in it and walked out with it. Mm-hmm. He asked her if she'll be going to the chess tournament referenced on the magazine cover. She says, yes. He says, good luck. So, you know, the, the whole community is rooting for her. I don't think the community really knows what to make of Beth, but I do think they're rooting for her
1: oh she she, she's she's such an anomaly she doesn't factor into anything they can understand she doesn't fit in a box they're just you know happy for the success because they can understand that much at least
0: she tells him to keep the change interesting little exchange there shows the people in her community root for cut to beth and beltic outside talking strategy he's got her um talking out her strategy thinking of all the ways through it so i think that's a little bit of shows a little bit of growth here right he's got Mm -hmm. he's got her actually Verbalize on what she's thinking, the different strategies uh, where she could go with certain things. She starts to lose her patience with him because he's asking her questions she thinks are obvious. Then we have this exchange, potential line of the episode: "For God's sake, Harry, can't you see it? No, I can't see it that fast. Well, I wish you could. You're too smart for me. I feel like very honest conversation there between the two of them. Yeah, and and I feel like that was the that was the beginning of the end of Beth Beldick.
1: It is, and I, I will correct you on one word choice that he used that I found interesting as well. Oh, he did, okay. What? He, he doesn't say, you're too smart for me. He says, you're too sharp for me, oh, which, okay. I, which I liked because of the double edge attached with it, too, of where it both means you're too smart for me. It also just means you're too coarse, rough, you hurt me. It, it was a hurtful line that she just said there very casually.
0: Yeah, well, I wish she could, yeah uh Beltic gets up and walks outside uh walks inside that evening beth is walking upstairs and sees harry is still in his room she stands out in front of it for a bit then thinks better of it and goes into her room
1: mm-hmm. in
0: her room she's listening to music and reading her chess magazine she opens the door to the bathroom then walks back out next morning she's making breakfast She sees Beltic with his bags packed Beltic, i have taught you everything i've taught you everything i know which admittedly is not a lot eh not giving himself a lot of credit there. Yeah. I better start studying. I'm supposed to be an electrical engineer and not a chess bum. Whew. Tough. It, Is tough. he calling her a chess bum here?
1: No, I, I think. But I, I think he's being almost over. He's assessing his own future in chess, and it's a it's a possibly an overly hypercritical assessment. But he's really trying to just cut that part of his life off. He doesn't see it. He doesn't see any future for him in chess other than a guy that just lags around tournaments and loses quick or somebody who's hustling. And that's just not the life he wants to lead. So he's being pretty dismissive of that possibility. I don't think, I think he's talking again about himself rather than her here.
0: Yeah, you're probably right. Beth asked him where he's going to go. He says he's moving into that apartment he referenced before. It's closer to the university. Beth says, you're wrong. You have taught me a lot. Says she's glad he called. Beltic says he's happy he could be there for when her mom died. Beth kind of stiffs armed that stiff yeah. that. so you know it, this is Beltic, you know tipping his hand saying hey you know i know that you know I, what you were looking for was more than chess in that moment i know that and I'm, I'm trying to establish i'm trying to like you know give credence to that and beth doesn't want to talk about it um and says he helped her chess game
1: yeah beth does not show vulnerability beth doesn't know how to just be that kind of open and honest and vulnerable with another person and she cuts that off very quickly
0: Beltic explains that he's learned he doesn't love chess. Not like mm-hmm. you have to, not like you do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He leaves her with a book on Oh my god, Spencer. Do you realize who he left a book who the book that he left for her? Do you realize who it's about?
1: I do realize what it's about. Tell Your boy, start- Paul Morphy. <laughs> I, I, I am so amused that Paul Morphy becomes almost the central the central reference of this oh, episode. Yeah dude do you understand how like when you were going through this so you you
0: uh, for folks who didn't listen to it in a previous episode i think it was the last episode spencer with yeah. peter spiral of the week he talked about paul murphy who was a chess prodigy before press chess prodigies were a thing and he mm-hmm. was american it's back in the 19th century he went all around New york to kicked a bunch of ass he came back he retired young and he ended up being kind of a wet brain in the end um here's the deal is that when you were going through all that, I was furiously Googling,
1: where have I heard the name Paul Morrissey before? In the show! And it was in the show! (laughs) It's so perfect. Again, the reason I went into it last episode is because it's such an apt comparison to some of the themes they've been putting out with her, with her potential, with the dangers that she could lead later in life. He's the quintessential example of the burnout genius. The rose to the top of his game. game. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead of where he rose to the top of the game, he became the best in the world, and at 22, he never played chess again because he'd the top of the mountain and the only way from there was down. And Beltic's trying to warn her that, look at Paul Morphy, look at Steinitz, the world champion that replaced Paul Murphy, They went mad in the end. They didn't have, well, particularly Morphy, didn't have a concept of life outside of chess and kind of went just insane in their loneliness. Don't walk that path in life.
0: Beth explains that they call him the pride and the sorrow of chess. Very, very great line. And he's drawing a parallel to Beth, just like you talked about. Explains how Morphe seemed to flame out early. He then, what does he do? Spencer, he pulls the pill bottle out. Yeah. And says, be careful, Beth, and leaves. So finally, someone, um, other than our girl, um, what's that girl's name from the first episode?
1: Oh, um. um, your, your favorite character Jolene? at the time? Yes,
0: Jolene. Jolene, who, who Jolene is the only other person I think who's called her on her substance abuse.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, finally, we got this guy who's, who's doing who's warning her, saying, you know, you'd be careful with these things. Cut to a montage of Beth with suitcase walking. Um, we get a lot of these scenes, right? Almost one every episode where Beth is suitcase walking in somewhere. Um, a variation of the theme is playing on a piano piece. Uh, It's Ohio. It's the U.S. championship in 1967. So, yeah, we are a few years later. Um, Cut to night, and Beth is lighting candles, and she's taking her pills. She leans back in bed, looks at the ceiling, and the pieces are moving. So she's still very much using the pills. Um, Uh Cut to Beth talking to my man, and Benny Watts, in the house. He's talking to her about Borgoff and is sympathizing with her loss. I thought this was genuine. Uh, I sometimes too. Benny is kind of a wise-ass. I think he's being genuine here about the loss to Borgoff.
1: I, I, I agree. I, I think that, like you said, they are chess greats at the top of their game. They can commiserate about this without there being some kind of purpose or implication associated with it.
0: It says he knows how it feels to lose, how hopeless you feel. They look at the person Beth is playing first. They aren't impressed. Benny, quote, that shouldn't take too long. Highest rated players in the whole fucking country, and yet here we are at some second rate university. Ooh, cut to (laughs) Ohio University. Woo, man. Uh, playing on some cheap plastic board with cheap plastic pieces. This was a yeah. golf or tennis tournament we'd be surrounded by reporters. That's
1: true. People don't right. like chess as much as those two things, yeah. Benny. Sorry about that. Um, this is a noticeable step down from the last from the last major U.S. championship tournaments we've seen previously. They were happening in major hotels. They had lots of people there. Yeah, I don't know what's going Everything on with that.
0: Yeah, It's it, very strange that they were doing this here. at. at Ohio. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't it, understand why it stepped down so much in like three years.
1: Is it an inconsistency in the show? Oh, they're trying to hyper, hyper focus on this theme Or are they trying to imply that there's been A, a downturn in you know U.S. interest in chess
0: That could been quick though That would be like in three yeah. years Yeah. I don't know I think it's probably just a inconsistency Uh Benny You should see the places they play In the Soviet Union Beth I'm planning on it Benny you'll have to get by me Beth I'm planning on that too <laughs> Woo! Nice shit talk by Beth Get in get out Beth You, you oh. won that exchange get out now it's fight night. Let's get ready to rumble, folks. It's uh, we, we know where this episode is going, right? Oh, we yeah. Go. We are headed toward Benny V. Beth,
1: round two. And this cuts into and transitions into probably my favorite scene of the episode. If we're back at a chess tournament, so I'm already excited. But the filmmaking, as they do the little cuts and inter-splices of going through their games and still focusing on each other and working in parallel to each other, is just great. It's really entertaining filmmaking. Yeah, great montage
0: oh yeah probably the best montage of the entire show they are playing classical Gas" by mason williams in the back great song if you heard that you, if you've not heard that song you've heard that song you have um, heard that so, song you just didn't so, know the name yeah go go to youtube find it listen to it again classical gasp by mason williams incredible song perfect Perfect oh, montage yeah. song here. And we see Beth and Benny just kicking ace left and right. She on mm-hmm. going shoot, Spencer. Cut to day two. More montages of Benny and Beth. Killing it. Very well Montage, very well monta- done montage continues. Probably uh-huh. um, probably one of the best. I- I'll say it again. I can't think of a better one. But then we cut to Beth and Benny are clearly on a collision course.
1: Day oh, three. Yeah. More Beth and Benny coming,
0: folks. Oh, yeah. They- mm-hmm. So here's another thing. They haven't played yet. Like, They they cover three days of chess, uh, of matches, in this montage. And Beth and Benny killing everybody, they still haven't played. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's got to be like the NCAA tournament, Yeah, right? yeah. Like where the one seed and the two seed are like as far apart as possible so that if they play at all, they have
1: to play in the finals. This is very much the case. where They're in their own separate brackets, essentially. The event, they're they're going to play players within those separate ones before they ever cross over to play each other. Just because it would be... They want to build this up to the one and the two ending up in the, turn, in the in the last round of the tournament together. Because that's what puts butts in the seats. Cut to Benny
0: giving an interview. I fucking love Benny Watts. I gotta tell you. His advice <laughs> for young chess players,
1: Spencer? Don't, don't just be a chess <clears throat> player. Don't look like you. And... Read my book. (laughs) His advice is read my book and work
0: out. That's his advice. Yeah, he makes some comment about wanting to get in shape. Uh, He asked uh, Beth what she did to the poor guy in the third round. It looked like he wanted to kill himself. Beth, which poor guy? Oh, And she is firing on all cylinders in Ohio. Uh, Benny says some of the folks are going to get a drink and do some speed chess. We have not been introduced to speed chess yet in the show. Spencer, what is speed chess?
1: Speed chess is what we've seen before on math. It is just chess that is designed to go as... I mean, I'm guessing, I don't know exactly speech, the, the, the particular rules, but it's speed chess with just an incredibly reduced time limit so that you barely have time to think about your move. It's just Im- immediate moves, immediate t- hitting the other person's clock to go through it. Yep, and I think
0: that you have, like, <clears throat> like, your time is literally, like, maybe a minute and a half.
1: Yeah, it's incredibly you abbreviated. You can play
0: the entire match. I mean, it's so fast. Um, and the scenes that we do see of Speed Chess later are, uh, I mean, I, I, I Googled uh, Speed Chess and I looked at some videos of people playing. They do have to play literally that fast. It's, poo, 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 poo.
1: it's, I, it's I don't know fast. about you, but my mind does not work that quickly. Hey, I don't know it does. I, I, I couldn't even tell what pieces they were moving. Is that, that fast. They were going about this.
0: I couldn't play checkers that fast. <laughs> uh, Beth says she's going back to the door and Benny challenges her since they have a day off. So Beth, can I ask you a question? That depends on if it's going to give me an edge. Are you serious, Beth? What's with the knife? Benny Benny says it's for protection. Beth, from what? <laughs> so, Beth can be real funny and cutting sometimes. Uh, yeah. Ha ha, see what I did there. Uh, but yeah, she's like, what are you what are you doing with this knife? Um, Benny finally says, whatever. And he ends the conversation
1: by telling Beth to study hard. B- Benny's a hustler. Benny makes money playing chess against people that probably want to, you know, punch him <laughs> or kill him afterwards. <laughs> He may actually have used that knife in the past. I know, but she, she did a thing that she a lot did a of that women
0: do a lot with men when they like they have like a like a knife or
1: oh, oh aren't like you a big man? gloves
0: or something. It's like, oh yeah big yeah big guy huh big guy oh, tough dude really diminishing him in the process.
1: Yes, <laughs> it, it, it's putting him in a category of a guy that you know is wearing a knife to make up for other lacking, and yeah, it's a very cutting classic way of doing that.
0: Uh, cut to that night, and Beth is indeed studying, and the music is blaring from the other dorm rooms. Beth gets her coat and leaves. She passes some people practicing in their rooms. Beth walks outside. Steppin' Stone by the Monkees is playing. Another mm-hmm. great song. the the soundtrack the of choice. Is so yeah. strong. Cut to Beth walking into the student union. She's got a, a mug. I think she's looking for some coffee. Benny sees her, and she walks over. Benny asks what um, she'd do on the board if they were playing. And uh, yeah, that's like you know, so Benny's like kind of testing. Him. Hey, what would you yeah. do here?
1: And it's it's the two guys that she beat that day in the tournament, right? That are with him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That he's with, and he, God knows what he's doing. He's he's kind of being classic Benny Watts here, right? Like it's like he seems in these sort of social situations to just want a crowd so he can talk. He's one of those oh, yeah. guys,
1: he, and he and he, he seems to enjoy teaching because he's telling these guys he's trying to you know train up or teach these guys it could just be he likes to be the center of attention but it may also just be he just loves chess and likes telling people about chess
0: yeah it's a little bit comedy a little bit comedy yeah benny asked her um uh to play some speed chess and she says well i'm just getting some coffee benny says hey one of these guys will get the coffee for you really (laughs) wants to play speed chess with her she decides to sit in for one game and that was your first mistake
1: oh god don't sit at the table you don't get up from the table they make money as long as you're at the table this is, this is where she needed a
0: Spencer in her life. Mm-hmm. A Spencer to say, hey, look, Beth, you do realize that these are two different games, right?
1: Yeah, you do she realize. She seems to
0: not understand that when she sits down.
1: Well, she has too much ego. She has too much ego to imagine that there is a form of chess that she's not going to be the best at. And man, does that slap her in the ass in the se- in the course of the next i don't even know how long they play how many hours do they play speed they play
0: a long time they play a lot of games and benny suggests five bucks a game i did the math on that that is roughly forty
1: dollars in today's money so it is not a small bet yeah it's not a small bet and we proceed to watch her go through her entire bankroll down Mm -hmm. to her ones
0: he absolutely jacks her up i think he takes Leases her for pretty much all the money she's got. We see a, he, he he beats her so much they have to do a montage of him beating her, of him going again, boom, again, boom, again.
1: <clears throat> he beats her. I don't know how many
0: he... times it is. Um, I think it's something between like four and seven, maybe that he beats her.
1: I think it's even more than that. <sighs> that
0: we I'm... see, that we
1: see, we we see. It. I would suggest that he beat her more than twenty times. It, it is a it is enough that by the end of this. He is tired of beating her. He's tired of even saying the word again.
0: And isn't this, you know, back to Beltic, isn't this an example of Beth doing exactly what Beltic told her not to do, which is to get mad, to get tunnel vision, and to push forward, not take a second, sit back and think strategically.
1: She had enough of a chance. I mean, okay, I'll rephrase. She never had a chance. She's never played speed chess that we've seen before. It is an entirely different game so we'll factor that in from the start. But whatever chance she had disappeared after that first loss cuz she's playing on tilt the entirety of the rest of the games. Yep. It is pure pride. No no thought, no ability, none of her legendary ability to play. Her pride has been bruised and she's trying to get it back and it's only worsening the pain.
0: And a crowd assembles and more yes. and more people watch and this is bad for Beth's bank account but even worse for Beth's ego because up until now she's been this undefeated sort of like force in the chess world and for she was laid bare for everyone to see that he could just kick her ass and that she couldn't do anything about it and that she continued to go over and over and over and over and again to get the ass kicked and a lot of people saw it so she leaves very very angry justifiably should be angry at herself um and I think it really hurt her confidence going into the next day. And I will tell you that at this point in the episode, the first time I watched it, I thought Beth's goose was cooked the next yeah. day. I thought there was oh, no yeah. way she was beating Benny the next day.
1: No. I, and I, we, we debated this a few episodes back of when she first played Benny. And the day before they played, Benny at, t- pointed out a mistake in her belted kick. Um, And we debated, was that purposely to set her off? Was that purposely to give her a certain element of doubt so that he'd have an advantage in the next game? How much do you feel that, at least when he first sat down and wanted to encourage her to play speed chess with him, that was his purpose or his intent here? I
0: honestly mm -hmm. think he was trying to make some money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I know that sounds crazy, (laughs) but I think he was
0: just... I think he's done this so much in New York. I think he knew a mark when he saw a mark. And he knew her, he knew her ego. He knew how fragile she was, um, like sort of emotionally in the moment, right? How she could, she could fall apart. I think he saw a mark. I think he was trying to make some money. I mean, he probably made his blase attitude about it the next day, even, even further just or reinforces that, right? Because the next day he's kind of like, oh yeah, forget that. Sorry about that. He doesn't seem to want to hold it over her. I think he was just trying to. Get some money
1: off of her. It's very, it's very possible. I mean, he made probably the greater. I mean, relative dollars, he probably made the greater hole of a thousand bucks off her that night. Mm-hmm. And that's good spending money. I still think that at least when he first sat in down our,
0: in our money, thousand bucks in our
1: money. Yeah, yeah, in, in our money that day, he probably made like a hundred, something like that, in in terms of 1960s money. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like when he first sat down, his intent was to just you know put her on tilt a little bit, hurt her confidence going into the next day. But it went on so much longer than he wanted. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: it really did. And I think he, at the end, he was tired of beating her. But I do think it, it, he was also kind of like, he, he, he likes Beth. And he roots for Beth. He respects her. He, I, I see. We, we have seen him in, in, watching her chess matches and, and wanting her to win. And I think he, he, even he was like, "Oh, this is a real bad look for you." I'm sorry. Kind of sorry I went down this road.
1: Oh yeah, and she um, looks rough that night. Like you said, she is pissed with herself. She is practically in tears. She's so unhappy with the situation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the next day, Beth is sitting on a bench watching the university go by. I, small point here on this scene. I loved how they just kind of had her watch a university, right? Because she didn't go to college, and she's just able to see she's on a quad, and she's just watching university life go by. She's drinking it in. Our girl probably would have enjoyed it a little bit more if it wasn't the day after. She just got bamboozled, hustled, (laughs) run out of the room by our boy Jojo. He crushed her. Um, we We still don't, as we talked about the previous segment, we don't know how much she's out, but she's out a lot of money. Um, cause these games were in, 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 uh, modern day, about 40 day, 40, 40 bucks a pop. We saw her lose at least seven or eight.
1: Um, I, I figure she lost her entire stack. I was, I was kind of interpreted She was pulling individual ones to pay him there at the end.
0: She got creamed. And the next day, of course, oh, who, who walks up? Of course, Benny dust jacket and all, um, sits down. She's clearly mad at him. Um, but Benny wants to get past the night before he says, it's going to be you or me. Uh, Beth, Beth asks, um, "Are you trying to psych me out?" He says, "No." He says, "You're the best person here." She's like, "Well, how the hell, uh, you know, how, am I, how the hell am I the best person here?" He's like, "Well, you." He, he comments on how well she attacks, and she's like, "Well, I didn't attack so well yesterday, Benny. That speed chess that doesn't count. I'm yeah. better than you at speed chess. I play a lot of it in New York. This is the point I was trying to make earlier: is that as smart as our girl Beth is, she does get tunnel vision, right? And this is what Beltic tried to explain to her: like, she doesn't seem to understand. She didn't seem to understand that Speed Chess was just simply a different game. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 she just needs to learn that game. I'm sure if she played a lot of Speed Chess, she'd beat Benny at she'd Speed Chess. Oh, yeah. But she just she just had this hubris about her where she thought, yeah, I can do it, oh. same thing, no problem, right?
1: So much of what Beth is, is just based on genius. She works from the idea that she's so good at chess because she is a genius, because she's naturally good at chess and it flows from there, her intuitive style of play, that kind of just natural understanding of the game. She's really, the last, of course the last episode in particular, Having to be schooled in the, the fact that, no, it's a certain element of training, too. There is a genius, and there is a genius that just comes from hard fucking work. The more you practice something, the better you can get at it. And she's coming around to that mindset. But speed chess is a good example that she walked into it assuming I'm good at chess. I'm really smart. Clearly, I'll be good at speed chess. And Penny took her to school when it came to that.
0: I'm going to draw a parallel to basketball here. You're probably going to shock you. Um, but in the, so in basketball, right, you hear. Who's the best basketball player of all time, Spencer? You just, I'm just posing Michael, the question. Michael Jordan. I would say Michael Jordan, too. It's a pretty, pretty uh I would say probably 75% of people would say Michael it's, Jordan. It's an easy some, answer. <laughs> some folks might say LeBron, right? He's probably number two. Um, I will tell you this the best one-on-one player of all time was Kobe Bryant. Kobe <laughs> Bryant could beat Michael Jordan at one-on-one, he could <laughs> beat LeBron at one-on-one. Kobe Bryant was the best one on one player of all time. But one on one is a different game than five on five, right? This sure. is something that Beth didn't seem to realize. And Kobe got a lot of people that way. People who just thought, well, I'm really good at basketball. I could play. Yeah, Kobe well, could always win one on one. Speed chess is kind of the same deal. Beth just didn't seem to understand it. And I think, to your point, she's so talented. There's some hubris there. She thinks by brute force, she could just destroy anybody. But back to the conversation, um, you know, Benny, uh, the scene closes with Beth saying to Benny, uh, do you ever play games in your head when you're alone? I mean play them all the way through. So this is this is interesting because Beth has shifted in the conversation from I'm mad at you, you hustled me to accepting the loss, moving on and talking to Benny as just another competitor or maybe even a friend. And Benny says, yeah, doesn't everybody? Yeah, of course we all do that. Um so you know, I, I think it's Beth reaching out a little bit, opening up, but also learning uh, yeah, yeah you know, you're not the only one there who's playing what, chess in your head.
1: It's because there's so many chess players, part of them getting good at the game and part of the training is playing with other people, it's practicing with other people. It's that kind of shared experience of the game. It's never really been that for Beth. She's kind of been an outsider to it. She's always learned by herself. Ever since you know she first got training from Mr. Scheibel or whatever else, the next part of her career has just been Beth against the world. And so the idea that there are other people and have their own similar experiences is something she's never really entertained just because she's never had that kind of connection.
0: That's a really good point because we the show does take pains to show how communal it is for everyone else. Benny always has a group of people around him. Beltic had a group of people that he hung around. Beltic, when he was trying to make Beth better, did so in a communal way. Go to her. Talk to her. Spend time with her. Um, Benny's going to propose to do it later in this episode, but that's not the way that Beth has, has learned. So it's a, it's a really good point. Um, and this is, like I think, a step toward Beth trying to understand um you know you can connect with some of these people who you who you play against to your competitors, right? And, they, and maybe in the process they can make you better. But maybe in the process you can have a friend. Um, mm-hmm. So we cut to Beth and Benny playing. Looks like the championship. They're in the lecture hall. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Play starts and we cut. I
1: want, I want what want you refund think my about chicken. the decision?
0: What do you think about the decision <laughs> to not show the match here between Beth and Benny?
1: That, it's an interesting call I mean they're trying to set it up that as much as it's been built up as much as it's been you know the true title fight between the heavyweights of the world she beat him in 30 moves it yeah, was a slaughter him. and they want to yep. set it up as being a slaughter that even he, I think he was kind of telegraphing he was telling her you're better than me yeah um but I don't think I think she, she hadn't really even accepted her we as the audience hadn't accepted just well how he much had she's her important. before yeah. one of
0: two losses she's ever had right and we'd
1: and we as an audience had focused on that. We'd viewed him as an equal opponent of her in classical chess, and particularly when we just now saw him slaughter her at speed chess. But he told us, speed chess is different. You're better than I am. But I don't think we believed it until this moment. And I, as much as I regret not seeing their game and seeing their interactions because they're my favorite moment in the show, it, I guess it's an important moment to just convince us of an audience how much better she has gotten and the unique level that she is now at by making it just such an off-note kind of thing that you don't need to yeah. see this it's a foregone conclusion let's move on
0: I think yeah exactly I think what they were trying to tell you here is that what's we this is a show about Beth this is about Beth's journey mm-hmm. and what's important in Beth's journey isn't the fact that she beat Benny it was this conversation afterwards this was yes. much more important than that match or winning the US Open in 1967 or whatever it was having this conversation with Benny was more important so what do we do we cut to Beth and Benny at a bar uh they're bantering benny says what are you going to do about borgov beth i don't know i don't even have a passport beth is referencing paris but benny cuts her off and says moscow fuck paris you need to go to moscow says there's an invitational in moscow says the u.s champ gets invited beth did not know that which i thought was interesting beth has just won the u.s championship
1: it was weird to me
0: um and she does not know that they're she's going to get an invite to play in moscow um I'm-
1: I'm amazed the U.S. Chess Federation didn't advise her. You know, if she's been invited to Moscow. She's going to have a posse. She's going to have... They're going to... This is a big fucking deal. This is a big I, deal yeah. for international relations.
0: I kind of assumed it was like when you win, you get like a informational sheet. Like, okay, well, here's all the stuff that now you do as U.S. champion. Like one of these... Like one of the things is going to be you're going to get invited. But right. I guess maybe maybe it's just all a surprise after you win. I don't know.
1: This, this is your handler. These are your trainers. These are the members of the State Department that are going to accompany you at all times. It, it would be a big fucking deal, but they're framing it as if it's something that she's in t- It's entirely foreign to her. Uh,
0: they're sitting there. They're having two beers, a uh, beer apiece, and uh, Beth goes to order another round. Benny says, no, he's still on his first. She continues the order, says she'll drink them both. Um, Benny immediately picks up on this, doesn't like it. The drinks come, and Beth, Beth, takes both. Beth takes both beers in front of her. Benny, quote, do you always drink this much? Beth, trying to um flippantly flippantly trying to brush off the comments trying not to engage in his concern in a serious way says sometimes i drink more benny says if she keeps doing this heavy drinking she'll be washed up by the time she's 21 Mm -hmm. beth says she likes his hair and and again he brushes her off so they're 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 talking past each other here beth wants to have a flirtatious um casual conversation and he wants to hone in on the fact that you know what you know you just won the u.s open this is a game that requires mental acuity mm-hmm. why the hell are you getting sloshed okay. um yeah, uh yeah. he go ahead
1: it's at least in part because he- beth doesn't necessarily think in next steps she thinks in moments which is the same thing with her instinctual play she thinks yep. about what particular thing she's doing now she doesn't really ponder what's going to happen six months from now but anything it finds her uncomfortable to think about so Benny's trying to get her in the mindset of, okay, you won this tournament. You beat me. Fuck you. But, you know, here we are. What is the next step? Where you go? And she doesn't want to think about that because it's not the mindset she operates in. If anything, she's at this point pondering whether she even wants to do those next steps, which Benny rapidly just tries to just get the hell out of that mindset right now.
0: I also think, like, you know, a fair reading of this show is that Beth has like problems with substances and like some of it is just she would just wants to drink like i think there's some of that and like we we're gonna spoiler alert we're gonna see this later like some of it is like she's not thinking she just wants to drink and benny is trying to break through that sort of immediate gratification thing that she's got going on and say hey man there's some implications here benny does eventually take one of the beers away he does not drink it though which i thought was pretty funny he just pulled it away from her he says he wants her to think about moscow he says she's the only american who might be able to do it so this conversation starts to turn from you whip my ass to beth you drink too much too the part where i talked about earlier on this episode which is once you beat one of these guys and it's and not just a, like i think what's important is that you kill him, right because benny now knows i am not as good as beth she beat him in such a way that he does not have any premonition that he's, he's going to be able to beat her again in the future at least right now so he then pivots to let me help you like you are the you are the one who maybe could go to some of these tournaments and help and i love that mentality about this group that she's in which is you beat me it's clear you beat me all right let me try to help you beat the next guy i
1: love that and in some ways mirrors what we saw previously of the russians because the two you know companions we saw with borgov were the number two and the number three but they're investing all their time the resources into him because he's the better player that yelp effectively as a nation in these tournaments you only get one shot you only get one person that's going to be able to you know take the fight so let's invest everything we have in them it's a it's a wonderful communal mindset to this kind of competition
0: completely agree uh benny offers a trainer before she goes to paris um so i, I think if you look at the the order of events here it looks like she's going to go to paris first then she potentially will get the invitation or she'll go to moscow later benny offers to trainer. benny asks if she can come to new york um he says you can sleep in my living room what a gentleman um and you can go to paris from there so you're gonna you're gonna leave kentucky you're gonna go to new york you're gonna um get the bitty boot camp uh Jojin's gonna run you through the forest and oh, two gonna, rules yeah two rules one no drinking um and two uh the sex yeah there isn't
1: gonna be any which if you think that's the one that throws her off more she expected the no drinking she saw that kind of coming whatever sure no sex. She looks legitimately flabbergasted when he says that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so Beth then says, uh, there's an interesting exchange here. Um, I'll go through it. Beth, Borgoff made me look like a fool. Benny, that's because you weren't ready. Beth, I don't even know if I'm good enough. Benny, you're the best there is. You beat me. Good line. Very good line. And um, after Benny drops the oh, and about the sex, forget it um you have flabbergasted beth and boom end of episode that is end of episode five for queen's gambit spencer we talked about this episode as a bit of a filler episode maybe a stretched episode um mm-hmm. now that we've gone through the detailed recap do you do you still hold that opinion maybe this one was um 20 minutes stretched into 45
1: it was the last 20 minutes is very effective it's great television we talked about how we love the scene of the you know kaleidoscope kind of um collage of scene of uh, images that we got in terms of the tournament that they were doing. I love the interaction between her and Benny and all of that setting up the continual flow of where things are going to go. So much of the stuff with Harry just felt unnecessary and I was not engaged for it. And it's not the show at its best when it kind of when it tries to do its kind of relationship moments, just because it's not what it does well. Um, it's was fine. It wasn't bad, but it was distractingly less quality than what came afterwards and what's it's setting up to come from here on.
0: Yeah. I agree. Not the best episode, but a still a good episode of TV. Um, You know, I think we can start talking about this show. We've seen enough of it now. We're five episodes through um, seven. I think we can start talking about it in terms of like, where does it rank for us? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It's obviously a good, good, good miniseries. But it's it's shaping up to be probably my least favorite of all the shows we've done, I think. Even though it's still good. I don't I would not put this above Succession, at different shows obviously, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it above Mandalorian, I wouldn't put it above Chernobyl, I wouldn't put it above uh, Game of Thrones. Like I, I feel like, you know, this might be, for me, the least favorite of the shows that we have gone through. What are your what's your thought on that?
1: I would agree. I would ultimately assign it to a category of being good but not great. Mm-hmm. Of where it's solid, it's good television, it's entertaining to watch. But other than a few select really well done scenes, I don't think it's going to stay with me for very long at all. Um, And I don't think it's necessarily a criticism too much of the show. It's successful in what it wants to be. It's just never really rising to unique kind of special level for some of the other shows that we've watched.
0: Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, that is the recap. We have... Given you our concluding thoughts, and now it is time to go to the segments. Segments, we start with best line of the episode. We cut to best scene of the episode, and then we will go to Spencer's Wikipedia. Spiral of the episode. We can start with best line of the episode. Spencer, you want to go back and forth?
1: Yeah. For me, there were a lot of uh, fortune cookie lines here, which I'm going to include a few of them. I wouldn't necessarily say they're good, but they're memorable and they're meant to be catchy. But we'll go through. Shall I start?
0: Jeff, sure, yeah. we? away.
1: Um, Beth and uh, Harry talking. You think I'm a prima donna, don't you? It's chess. We're all prima donnas. I like that little banter back and forth.
0: Uh, Beth to Beltic. Why don't you come over right now?
1: (laughs) I love his reaction to that line. Yeah, great one. Um, From Beltic to Beth. uh, Anger is a potent spice. A pinch wakes you up. Too much dulls your senses. She mocks it even when he says it. But it is actually a pretty catchy line.
0: That sounds like something you would say.
1: I probably said some version of that previously. Yes. Does,
0: that sounds like a Spencerism. Um, we'll cut to an exchange between Beth and Beltic at the uh, kitchen counter. Beth, I can beat Borgoff with a little more work. Um, Beltic, you can beat Borgoff with a lot more work, years more yeah. work. Borgoff is not some Kentucky ex champion like me. He's a world champion who could have beaten both of us when he was 10.
1: I love I love that kind of just putting Beth in perspective, But you're not taking this as seriously as you need to. Um, a couple lines actually from Borgoff during that documentary of his. Oh, if interesting. If you're already in a fight, you want the first blow to be the last, and you better be the one to throw it. Good, good line in terms of summarizing his strategy.
0: Um, I'm still back with Bear, uh, Beth and uh, Beltic. Um I, I just love their 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 interplay here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, although it was, it could probably be done faster than it would, it was done, but it was it was good. We have a, a exchange here between Beth and Beltic. Beth, for God's sakes, Harry, can't you see it? No, I can't see it that fast. Well, I wish you could. You're too sharp for me. Thank you for the correcting me on the sharp. You're okay. too sharp for me.
1: I like that line a lot. I mean, it's it's both another classically cutting line by Beth. She can be remarkably casual about her just un- unkind and polite lines to other people, and his response yes. to that is just so multi-layered. I like that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Nolan Borgoff. Attackers may sometimes regret their moves, but it is much worse to forever regret an opportunity you allowed to pass you by. That's just good advice right there.
0: Yeah, just for anything. Um, Beth and Benny. Um, Benny, it looked like he wanted to kill himself. Beth, which poor guy?
1: Oh, and then she sits down with the two of them later Mm -hmm. and still doesn't recognize them. Nope. this one's a historical quote from Adiro. It's foolish, to, it's foolish to run the risk of going mad for vanity's sake. It's almost one of the themes of the show about what are you doing this for and how far are you willing to go and what are you willing to risk? Uh,
0: the last one um, I will say is the one I just said, uh, Beth and, and Benny. Borgoff made me look like a fool. That's because you weren't ready. I don't even know if I'm good enough. You're the best there is. You beat me.
1: I only one I add to that is from a second earlier, but she asks, says, you're taking this well. I'm raging inwardly. Just a wonderful way of putting that.
0: Yeah. Do you have any more? That's it for me. Um. Okay. Um. Best line of the episode. Episode five, Netflix, Queen Camp at four. We're going to have an honorable mention. Mm. This was going to be, mm. from my notes only, this was going to be the line of the episode it is borgoff made me like a look like a fool that's because you weren't ready i don't even know if i'm good enough you're the best there you beat me that was honorable mention it was going to be number 1 until spencer you gave me another line that i vaulted to the top this is the winner of episode 5 queen's gambit best line of the episode it's foolish to risk going mad for vanity's sake
1: isn't that a good line isn't that just a it, great quote it's
0: a great quote in general it is what i li- what i like about but you know what i'm looking for in the best line of the episode mm. Are you summing up chapters of the story? And yes, that, that quote very much ch- sums up a large chunk of the story they're telling here with Beth. So, yeah, definitely best line of the episode. Uh, good call by you. Thank you for pointing that one out to me. We will cut to best scene of the episode. Now, the best scene of the episode up until now have been fairly predictable scenes, I think, what we've, what we've chosen. Mm-hmm. I would venture a guess that if they gave us the standard blow by blow... Fifteen minutes of, or or ten, or whatever it took of Beth playing Benny, we would pick that. Yes, yes. we didn't get it, so we're kind of out in new territory here on where we're going to pick best scene of the episode. Spencer, do you have any thoughts?
1: I have very different thoughts based on different things that certain scenes brought. From a purely filmmaking standpoint, I think we agreed that the the what we got of the tournament play between Beth and Benny playing other people and that unique style of cutting in images and the music yeah. that was playing which yeah. is really well done filmmaking. So I think that deserves credit for a mention. From a story standpoint, I love the comparisons that they set up every now and then between um, Beth and Borgoff. We got a great one here. of During the documentary, they showed Borgoff as a child playing multiple people, and playing multiple people in the exact same room that Beth played everybody back in that high
0: school. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And so seeing him as a child. the The key difference that I loved, though, is his mom is there with him. His mom is the one that's on his shoulder helping guide him through this and supporting him throughout, which Beth never had. So I love the similarities and the differences they draw between the two of them because I assume this is eventually going to come to them playing each other again in various uh, places and locations. Um, And I love the repeated motif of the shadows on the ceiling. We've seen that several times. We got Mm -hmm. to see it here, and I love how... How little they need to show us now to know that it's happening. We no longer even need to see the pieces. We just need to see the shadows on her in that scene. And from a purely pure all standpoint, if I could see this actress dance to "Fever" by Peggy Lee again, I would very much enjoy seeing that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was that was something. Um, you know, I think I'm going to take a swerve here, uh, if oh, it's okay with you. Um, I, I'm not. I think if we were going to pick it, <clears throat> best <clears throat> best scene for what the best. <clears throat> part of the story is it would be beth and benny at the bar later mm. but um i'm going to take a swerve here i'm Please. going to actually pick if it's okay with you the montage scene where beth and benny are both playing classical gas by wayson williams yes. playing in the back For, they're doing said, the, block, the block tiles on the screen yes. it's important From a story perspective to know that beth and benny are are that good and they're they're working folks through it's important it's very important from a narrative perspective to establish her as the us's champion because that's how she gets to these later tournaments so that that's an important stepping stone it's not not something you should gloss over that needed to happen but man was that some great filmmaking it was just really really entertaining to watch
1: you refer to it as the best montage we've seen in the show and probably the best one in the show period i gotta agree that was just so well done and such a delight to watch and classical gas was such the perfect song to pick for that
0: really really good filmmaking so bravo to the cinematography mm-hmm. to the the folks putting the episode together not my favorite episode but probably my favorite sequence of the series uh strong work strong filmmaking okay that wraps up the segments that i am in control of so now i will pass baton over to my partner spencer for wikipedia spiral of the week spencer take it away
1: yeah i've got a few I i got a thing to talk about this time i have discovered in my research a person that probably serves as a retroactive inspiration for beth Harmon as a character and i say retroactive because the book was written queen's gambit by walter tevis in 1983 when this particular person was seven years old. And we've discussed that Walter Tempest was primarily using Bobby Fischer as, as, as the inspiration for the character, the, diff, the, the genius with a difficult route, come, an American rising to the top to overcome the Russians. It's a classic story, classic inspiration.
0: Without all the antisemitism.
1: We're gonna go into that antisemitism right here, actually here in a minute. But this woman who emerged, who was still just a child in Hungary at the time, has so many similarities to the character of Beth Harmon, particularly with respect to her playing style that I'll get to, that I have to believe that the show, in adapting the book, has drawn a lot of influence from her, because the similarities are notable. Uh, this woman is, named, is name is Judith Polgar, uh, and she was born a Hungarian Jew in Budapest in 1976. Uh, her family suffered terribly in the Holocaust. Many members died, and her grandmother actually survived Auschwitz, which is just hell. Whew. Her family is legendary when it comes to chess prodigies. Um, her middle sister, Sophia, became an international master. Her oldest sister, uh, Susan, uh, who is seven years older than her, became a grandmaster uh, and the women's world champion for years. A, legend, a legendary player in her own right. But Judith Polgar surpassed them all. Now, the reason that all three of these just rose to be utterly top in this game was a result of an educational experiment that their parents engaged in, particularly their father, Laszlo Polgar, who was an educational psychologist. He had a theory that a genius is not born, but is educated and trained. When a child is born healthy, it is a potential genius, and any child has the innate capacity to become a genius in any chosen field as long as education starts before their third birthday and they begin to specialize at six. Her older sister, Susan, basically said that her father had the view that innate talent means nothing. Your birth is irrelevant. That success is 99% hard work. And he hammered that into them early. All of them say they had a lovely childhood and a lovely education. But it was a very unique thing. Of work. From age three, they were homeschooled and only homeschooled. And they were taught German. They were taught Russian. They were taught English. They were taught the international language, Esperanto, high-level math, incredibly rounded and developed, intense education. But chess was the specialty. Chess was meant to be the specialty thing of where he believed that just by sheer training, he could make his three daughters into the best chess players in the world, among the best chess players in the world. And this was an incredibly controversial idea in the 70s. At this point, there'd only been one, uh, one woman who'd ever even a- achieved the level of grandmaster. It was a view that women were just physically and mentally incapable of playing chess at any level of high any level of high-level play. His perspective on that was that women are able to achieve results similar in fields of intellectual activities to that of men. Chess is a form of intellectual activity, and so this applies to chess. Accordingly, we reject any kind of discrimination in this respect. As you can see, I'm kind of quoting his notes that he was doing over the course of his uh, doing these experiments. So with respect to this this specialty from an incredibly young age... He was training them to the best of his ability in being professional chess players. And it wasn't just him. Him, his wife, the sisters themselves trained each other. But he also brought in grandmasters from around the world to come in and help train his daughters. An incredible list of people that were being brought into his home for this purpose. Now, each of the daughters being incredibly skilled chess players, they have a lot of friendly debate about who was the best earliest. They really disagree on the subject of who was the most of the prodigy of the three of them. Uh, With Sophia in particular saying, with Susan in particular saying that uh, Judith was actually pretty not as good relative to the rest of them at at the same ages. But looking at the information I could find, she still was incredible. That at a young age, like, there's a story of her little child, like three, four, having already been put to bed being brought back in, half asleep, rolled in her blanket still, so that she could be brought in to stare at the board that her older sisters and the grandmasters they were brought in were debating certain moves. With her tiny little arms, she'd gesture (laughs) what the move should be, half asleep, fall back asleep in her parents' arms, and be carried back to bed.
0: It's like a Baby Yoda situation. It
1: very much is a Baby Yoda situation. (laughs) By age five, she was defeating people blindfolded, not looking at the board. By age eleven, she was defeating all of her grandmaster teachers that were being brought in, all of them. Um, by to offer an example, she had a chess rating of twenty eighty. That's a candidate master, an in international. Uh, wow. By, by age nine, nine, Woo! she was the youngest player in history at her time to be named an international master, male or female. Youngest player in history. To put it in perspective, Kasparov, Gary Kasparov, the legendary player, viewed the greatest player of all time by people nowadays. And Bobby Fischer, incredibly legendary in his era, viewed as possibly the most individually difficult player to ever play against, became International Masters at 14. She did it at 12. And she did it with a chess rating of 2,555. Again, three hard. years. Oh, my God. She jumped that degree. With that rating, she made the World Top 100 list. Coming in as her initial rating at 55 in the world. 12 she is the youngest player ever in history to breach the top 100 list and she did it in the middle of the list she also did it 35 points ahead of the current women's world champion um, she hit grandmaster by 15 three years later and was the youngest ever at that time to do it she was only the fourth woman to achieve the grandmaster title her sister uh susan did it uh about 10 months earlier. The difference being that Judith did it six years younger than her sister, uh, the two of them being the third and fourth women to earn that title. Notably, she also did it a month younger than Bobby Fischer did. Another point of comparison there. Uh, just by pointing up uh, just a little bit of trivia, the first woman to do so was Nona Grappandashvili, uh, who was a Georgian living in the Soviet Union, who actually did it in 1978. She's an incredible woman in her own right, we may discuss later. Um... It was at this age that she started developing an international reputation because she started playing and defeating uh, former world champions. Again, she's a, she's a mid-teen at the time, but she played and defeated Boris Spassky, the famous Russian that played against Bobby Fischer. Slaughtered him. Uh, also during this period, oddly, Bobby Fischer stayed in their home. When Bobby Fischer was on the run, oh. from, an, he was on the run from an international arrest warrant, because of course he was... And he was hanging out in Yugoslavia and Hungary during that period. And so he, he, like so many other grandmasters, just kind of crashed in their home and volunteered to help them train them on analyzing chess games for a period. This is around the same period that she defeated Boris Spassky in an exhibition game, so her dad proposed to Bobby Fischer, you know, the guy that had played Boris Spassky famously a a few decades earlier, hey, how about we do an exhibition game between you and her? Wouldn't that be fun? And Bobby Fischer agreed at first, and then backed out of it. And when asked why he backed out and whether he would um, agree to a reschedule of the game, what do you think he said?
0: Not sure. What, what, what was it?
1: His reason for why he wouldn't was, no, they're Jewish.
0: Oh, of course it was. <laughs> I should have seen that coming a mile away. Yeah, Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh he was an
1: incredible figure. We'll talk about him in, a, in a probably a later episode. But man, he was a dick. Um, summer of 1994, a couple years later now, she's 17 going on 18 oh and she competes in an international tournament in Spain against the best players in the world loaded to the brim with grandmasters. She not only wins this tournament that just for this tournament, if you just assessed her chess rating for her accomplishments at there, she would have had a tournament rating of 2,778 in the mid nineties. Not only Ooh. would that have put her in the best in the world in the mid nineties, that's still to the day today in terms of chess ratings, with the inflated ratings I talked about, put her in the top five of the top ten in the world. Um, in recognition of that, once they, you know, it assessed her whole career by a year and a half later, she became, to date, the only woman to make it into the top five of chess ratings based on overall play. She came into the list at number eight. And in the years following, she was basically universally regarded as not only the strongest female player alive, because obviously she was, she was probably the strongest strongest woman, strongest female player ever in history, at least by any way that we could know. And she developed an absolutely legendary reputation when it came to this, and it only continued. A year and a half, two years after that, she defeated the world champion, Karpov, the current world champion an individual oh. player. Hmm. She, did, uh, she did so in action chess, where the entire game has to take 30 minutes. We've talked about speed chess and action chess.
0: So it's chess. kind of like in the middle there. Kind yeah. of in the
1: middle which seemed to be honestly what she was even best at. Despite the fact her rating was in classical chess, she fucking murked people when it came to speed chess. She was incredible at that. Um, also, in 1988, she became the first, woman to, the first woman to win the U.S. Open. So while we see Beth Harmon on the show winning the U.S. Open, the first time that happened was Judith, Judith Polgar in 1998. What she views, though, as her, honestly her greatest accomplishment was in 2002, she defeated Garry Kasparov.
0: What? I did not. I had no idea this happened.
1: In 2002, she played Gary Kasparov in Rapid Rules, another form of speed chess. Now he, had, she'd played him before classical chess, and he'd, she'd, he'd actually beaten her several times. In fact, the first time she would ever played him was at 17, and famously, Gary Kasparov defeated her in part because he cheated. Of where it was, viewed, it was called the touch move controversy, of where Jeez. he was playing her. He was 17. He was the world. She was 17. He was the world champion at the time. She's playing him. It's a tough game. He places a piece, takes his hand off it, puts his hand back on it, and moves it to a different location.
0: Look, even my p brain, even my super JV, the JViest of JV chess players, knows that is a no go.
1: That is a forfeit level move to do that. You have you have forfeited the game if you do that. Now, well, she didn't
0: realize it was that serious.
1: It's a serious thing. Um, particularly if what, it occurs what, Did after she call the,
0: him on it? I mean, what, what happened?
1: That's the thing. It's particularly serious if, it occur, if it's being documented after the fact, because you can't fix it now in the moment. Um, she's 17. She's playing the world champion. She didn't feel comfortable herself intervening, because it's not her job. It's the umpire. It's the ref's job to do it. So she turns and stares at the ref, and he doesn't do anything. He lets the play continue.
0: Bullshit. bullshit, bullshit,
1: and it threw her off her this game. This is the
0: Montreal screwjob, wrestling fans.
1: Oh, it, it threw her off her game. It threw her off in the tournament. She ended up losing the tournament. Cause she thought, cause it just she couldn't understand why that had happened. She even confronted Kasparov afterwards, and he had the audacity to deny doing it.
0: No, oh, he said he didn't do it. What a shit.
1: Uh, now said, hold
0: on. Now now hold on. Were there other people there who saw it, not just her?
1: There were other people there that saw it, and there's okay. even a video of it happening.
0: Oh, well, there, there you go. But here's
1: the thing. The video's never been released to the public because the, the guy, the guy that re- the, uh, news agency that's recorded it has, to refuse to, has refused to release it for reasons. They've never explained why they refused to the release reasons. it. The reason Kasparov
0: did that shit.
1: Well, Kasparov has since said that, well, it may have happened, but I didn't mean to do it, or something along those lines. But he was particularly at the time denying it. And... Kasparov, as much as he's you know views a legendary player and has since humbled a bit in his later grand old man years, at the time he was quite the dick when it came to about the idea of women in chess. That he referred to her at various moments as a circus puppet. Uh huh. And that women chess players should stick to having children. He also said, especially when
0: they're kicking his ass. Yeah, I'm sure he wishes they would.
1: We'll get to the 2002 tournament in a second. I'm setting, I'm setting it up. because This, this was a earlier in her career I'm talking about right now. Um, right. But going up into this 2002, she said, she has fantastic chess talent, but she is, after all, a woman. It all comes down to the imperfections of the feminine psyche. No woman can sustain a prolonged battle. Also referring to them as just simply not great fighters. So in 2002, building this up with her, you know having this kind of difficulty with Kasparov for years because of view, viewing the unfairness of that moment early in her career, when they sat down for rapid rules, there was a lot going into it. It was also part of an internet, I believe it, a, a multi-nation tournament play between Hungary and um, the, uh, the, R- the Russia. And so her success in that played a key part in the, in, in the ultimate um, re- resolution of that conflict. She successfully defeated him, ensuring that uh, her nation helped defeat Russia at the time. And Kasparov apparently... Immediately got up from the board and just left what had happened. Just walked out of the room. Walked even out of the building as as journalists and photographers tried to to just mob him. To his credit, uh, after he had an opportunity to calm down, he revised his prior opinion to say that the Polgars, uh, Judith and her sister, showed that there was no inherent limitation to their aptitude. An idea that many male players refused to accept until they'd been unceremoniously until they had unceremoniously been crushed by a twelve-year-old with a ponytail. <laughs> so he eventually came around, and apparently they actually have a good banter now because they actually were interviewed together several times with respect to this show. But it was it viewed for her as a key moment in her career just to finally overcome him, particularly since he was the, the world great. Now, not suggesting, I'm focusing on her highlights, not just suggesting that she was undefeatable. She lost games, she lost tournaments. In fact. She was the only woman to date that had actually qualified for the World Chess Championship, but in her qualification, she actually put in one of her worst performances and came in last place in her group. That happens, though. That's the nature of competition. But throughout this period, she consistently won over some of the strongest players alive, or was regularly regularly playing and defeating the best in the world. In fact, over the course of her career, and I added this up, she defeated in-games 11 current or former world champions including the current world champion, Magnus Carlsen. the key issue she ran into is one, though, that a lot of women have to confront in the professional world, of where she had to decide whether chess was a profession or her life. And in the year 2000, she was interviewed. 2002, she was interviewed and concluded that to be world champion, she would need to make chess her life, and she did not view it that way, that it was a job and a job that she was good at, but she wanted other things. She got married in 2000, and she had two kids over the course of the next decade. And it's notable that, people commented that her play declined during that period, in large part because she had and was raising two children, and was focusing on that rather than, competing at, a, rather than compete, competing at a professional level or even training at a professional level. In spite of that, she declined from being eighth best in the world to still 55, despite raising two children and everything else that went into that, and not competing for two entire year periods while she was focused on raising them. Still, she was beating world champions in individual play, even though she wasn't focusing on it quite as much. She came in first, tied for for first in the European Individual Chess Championship in 2001. She even returned to being back above a 2700 chess rating in 2011, despite focusing on her children for years during that period. And the fact that she returned to a 2,700 rating in that period is notable because she's still the only woman to ever cross that threshold, much less return to it several times. Um, hmm. She retired from competitive play in August of 2014. But even as she was approaching retirement, she was still the only woman in the world that was rated, rated in the top 100. In fact, she had remained, over the course of her career, the wow. top rated woman in the world for 25 years. Now, since her retirement. Serena Williams territory. Now, since her retirement, uh, Hu Yifin, uh, a young player out of China, is now a woman that was ranked in the top 100 at number 88, and so it's starting to to be other women are starting to come into that, but she was legendary during her period for that. Uh, Since her retirement, she actually became the head coach of the Hungarian national men's chess team, notable. Uh, And she's written several textbooks and training programs on the subject of preschool and primary education, using chess as a guide to teach things like creativity, logical thinking, responsibility, mathematics, reading, all kinds of things. Using it as a a basis of, of chess to teach these other topics. It's actually been adopted by Hungary as part of their national curriculum since. Now, I talked about points of comparison. You may have seen a few points of comparison between her and Beth and what I've described previously. But let me go into her style of play now. Notably, throughout her career, she was nicknamed the Queen of Chess and was referred to as quiet, modest, but with an intensely aggressive style of play. According to David Norwood, who was a (laughs) British Grandmaster, he referred to her as this cute little auburn-haired monster who crushed you.
0: (laughs) It sounds bad.
1: She's referred to as having these killer dark gray eyes that would constantly stare down her opponents during the course of play. According to one uh, newspaper kind of the time, the irises were so gray and so dark, they were almost indistinguishable from the pupils. So set against her long red hair, the effect is striking and intimidating. Uh, Kasparov, particularly after he lost to her, referred to her as a play style of relentless aggression. Um, She also was famous. We talked before about the changing style of play to a much more technical and positional focus. She was incredible at that. But particularly early, early in her career, she was also famous for her wild gambits and attacks, these almost throwbacks to a kind of, you know, Paul Morphy kind of area of play that were entertaining to watch. Um, last account from a U.S. champion, Joel Benjamin, that she was a tiger at the chessboard. One mistake and she goes right for your throat. Particularly for her, though, she viewed chess as intensely psychological plays. The main way she played it was, you're not just playing the board, you're playing your opponent. She'd study her opponents intently, learn all their mistakes, learn all their styles, often purposely playing their style so they wouldn't feel comfortable and try to shift it to something different. From her perspective, chess was 30 to 40% psychological. It's part of the reason she hates playing computers, because in her words, you can't confuse them. Well, you can against human opponents. Um, notably, throughout her career, she essentially refused to play in women's tournaments. Um, and never once, despite the fact her older sister was the women's world champion, never once competed in the women's world championship. In her words, I always say that women should have the self-confidence that they are as good as male players, and only then if they are willing to work and take it as seriously as male players. And so view the idea of female-only competitions as in many ways stifling, because you weren't pushing yourself to greater extremes. One of the few months that I could find she actually competed in a female-only chess competition was a chess Olympiad team competition where it was her and her sister's, playing as the Hungarian team. Talk about a power team. Talk about a dream team. Wow. Uh, They played, and the only reason they played against only women was because they weren't allowed to, under the rules of the time, play against men. All uh, all women women teams could only compete against other all women teams. But in that regard, they played against the Soviet Union, and it was the first time in its history the Soviet Union team was defeated, and Hungary became the uh, international champion. Now, I want to make an important thing to note, though, that Though she was the best, she was not alone, and she was not unique. There have been a lot of incredible female players over time, a lot of ones we don't necessarily know how far they could have risen because of the barriers to women playing and participating. Now, some of those are just ranked misogyny, and we can go into a couple of those, but a lot of them are much more cultural and institutional factors. And this is actually one of the things that during these interviews that she had the most bone to pick with this show. That she liked the show. She particularly liked how chess was played and the movements and everything else. But she was very annoyed that the show didn't focus enough on the difficulties and dark sides of being a woman in the chess world. That in her words, the the way the boys treat Beth in the series is a dream. Sadly, the reality is not like that.
0: Oh, wow. Huh.
1: That... the difficulties, the outright mistreatment, the sexism that she that she and other female players have endured, is not, it's true. It's not really addressed on the show. It's kind of a background. It's discussed very briefly early on, and then it's left to the wayside. But she talked about stories about sexist slogans being dangled or thrown upon her, about that male players, that even after she would defeat them, would just publicly deny that it had happened, um, or they would say that, oh, I just had a bad day. We know that she could never really beat me. A players that would just walk away from the board without shaking her hand and actively refuse to do so. That was the norm in what she encountered. And it's something that the show never really goes into. Um, I looked up some quotes and other issues about this period where I hate to reference Bobby Fisher on this, but he was during the period of this show the, the best player in the world and one of the lead chess figures. What do you think he had to say about women in chess?
0: Pretty progressive, probably. Very yeah. supportive.
1: I, <laughs> In his words, this is from 1963. Women are terrible chess players. I guess they're just not so smart.
0: Ugh. Ugh. Okay. He also,
1: at other times, referred to the idea of women chess players that inherently they are weak or stupid. Um. Oh shit. And I wish those kind of quotes were just banished to that era. I got one. I was looking up in terms of more recent commentary on the subject. Nigel Short. He's a British grandmaster, and he's the current vice president of the International Chess Federation. Has been since 2018. He in- instructed women that they must gracefully accept as fact that they possess different skills that are not conducive to high level chess. Referring to them as women have higher emotional intelligence, but as in chess, I must help my wife maneuver her car out of the garage. Notably, during an interview, and I would love to be able to find a copy of this interview, a Sky News anchor pointed out that he had previously been defeated by Judith Polgar, the subject of this little piece I am I'm going on in, just like Gary Kasparov, and asked, When she defeated you, did she bring her man brain that day? Wow. Now, it's not to say this is necessarily an uncommon viewpoint even to this day, though. Even among women players, many players say, including particularly female trainers, that chess does not come naturally to women. They lack the killer instincts and risk-taking that are needed. Now...
0: Well, that's, I mean, some societal conditioning, obviously.
1: But that's the issue. It's also, it's always not, it's societal conditioning, definitely. But it's also issue of what women need to be trained to be good at this. Like we've learned recently in math, I mean, there's there's growing evidence that women think differently from men and analyze problems differently and need a certain different level of, of, of training or education than men do to succeed in these fields, particularly for like math and sciences. We assumed for decades that women just weren't good at math. Why else is that all, all, the, all, all the people attending in math and sciences, but professors, professionals, men? Clearly it's that women suck. What we've learned since is that, no, they just learn differently than men do in terms of these topics. And the entire curriculum has been built around what men need to learn. Because all of the original testing about what was needed to teach people these topics was done on men. And we've now realized that that's just not universal. Women need a different form of training and focus to learn these topics well. And they can succeed just as well as men in them if they get that level of different su- uh, support and training. Susan Polger, the older sister of this family, had previously said in the subject of women in chess, based on these kind of studies, that girls can learn how to play just as well as boys, but they often approach the game differently. For instance, she offered that men are, look at chess as a competition. They look at it as overcoming their opponents. Women look at chess basically most effectively as solving puzzles, as solving problems, and that when you train women in that regard, everybody has the same ability to excel. You just need to understand how diff- the, the different process of thinking and understanding this problem, different things that draw them to it. In terms of Judith Polgar's own opinions on the subject, she said the greatest hurdle that women have to overcome is just simply lack of encouragement that from an early age they're not encouraged to get into chess. They're not encouraged that they could ever do well this particular activity. And she and others have emphasized that the most effective thing you can you can do to get women involved in any male dominated field, but particularly chess, is support is start them early and provide encouragement early in terms of them getting involved. Right. And one Makes of the key, sense. Yeah, one of the key things in that regard is role models. I mean several people have since said of Polgar that she's had a profound effect on women chess players because now it seems, on average, women are actually more aggressive than the men in individual play, just because of how aggressive her play style was, and they're drawing inspiration from her. And it's one of the hopes I have for this show, too, and one that people have already been citing, is that Queen's Gambit may have an inspiration on an entire generation of chess players that are coming up. It's already had a profound effect on women getting involved in chess, but that Beth Harman, seeing that example, seeing that kind of role model of someone rising to the top of what's a male-dominated field and succeeding at it, despite obstacles, whatever else, mild as the obstacles the show may present in that regard, or at least not sexism focused may have a profound effect on women looking to get involved in this particular sport. I mean, to this date, there has not been a women's world champion. And since Judith Polgar, there has not been a woman that has entered into the top 10 or even the, to, or particularly the top five. But mm-hmm. with these kind of inspirations, with these kind of role models in the form of Judith Polgar and Beth Harmon, I think it is very possible interesting to see that, um, a woman's a, a, a woman rising to the level of world champion of chess may be very much be alive today and it'll be exciting to see when and if and when that comes to pass
0: that is interesting so it's so often in these stories it's you know there's this historical character broke broke barriers did things you know maybe uh, that a minority didn't do non-white person didn't do or a woman you know did, hadn't done before and then you you know you have some piece of literature movie whatever that comes along that's loosely based on it This is just the flip yeah i know the dude wrote the wrote the novel and then the girl just sort of came about later it was like vaguely close to it it's, yeah. it's very interesting
1: but i i present this to you in congress for your review and i hope you enjoyed it uh
0: this one was uh was very good um i think it's a it's a bipartisan vote because i mean in large part because I think everyone watching this this show is searching for. Wait a second, is this true? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you just Google Queen's Gambit, like what like the third most googled thing is is Queen's Gambit true? People want yeah. to know is this is this a historical biopic? It is not. But you connected the threads for some folks here. You know, if you do want to look at this through the lens of what actually happened in chess, well, here's a character for you. And somebody who came along who did similar things as to what they're they're, um, chronicling Beth doing. So uh, passes both chambers. President eagerly signs it. Um, Bipartisan support for this one. Very good job today, Spencer.
1: Happy you enjoyed it.
0: So I enjoyed doing this episode with you, Spencer. We are down to two more episodes for the Queen's Gambit. For all of those interested in what we are doing next after Queen's Gambit, we don't have an answer for you yet, but we will within the next two episodes. So hang in there with us. But before we get to the next content, before we get to the next show, we have to finish up the Queen's Gambit. We have got episode six and episode seven to cover, and we are going to do so here on Magnum Talks TV very soon. Please join us for the next episodes. Spencer, I enjoyed doing the podcast with you. I'll see you next week. See you.